Hello and welcome once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about presumably our favorite genre of video games. I realize I say that every week and I don't know if it's actually true, but uh, ostensibly it is. It's true for me and everyone else has gone along with it. The more you say it, the more it's true, right? Like it's like you just have to convince yourself of it. It's like a hypnotic state of things. Yes, fake it until you make it. Yes. My name is Brian Vitale. Joining me today, I've got a, a full house here. Let's put it that way. Uh, let me go through all my uh, all my allies here today. We've got George Foster. Hello, everyone. Joshua Torres. Am I really your ally? Or are we just best buddies? I thought so. Is, did I have it wrong? I mean, I'm disappointed. We can I was. I was. Instead. I had it mis- misconstrued. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we have we have Jess Reyes. Welcome back. Again, nice to be back. Adam Vitale. Hi. James Galizio. The slew of video games is almost over. Soon a respite. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? So the, the dog days of August are slowly coming to an end, or right, I guess, in the middle of it, in the back half. Uh, it's been a slow time for games, at least in certain respects. And uh, lots of things to look forward to. A few things that we've gotten little tastes of in terms of demos, in terms of more release dates coming up. Uh, we're almost there, guys. Uh, I was told that when Madden releases, then then we know that things are going to be looking up at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good benchmark that I never thought of, like the the Groundhog Day of uh, video game release schedule. So hold on, well, we're almost there. Yeah, I opened up Steam one day and I saw Madden there. I'm like, oh, Madden is still a thing. That's right. So wait, on Steam? It's on PC. Yeah. Y- y- yep. Oh, yeah, it's on but... PC. So I I saw. I was like, oh wow, there's a Madden here. The last time I played Madden, I think, was like 2010. It's been a long time. Is Madden RPG? Yes, I mean, it has stats. I remember hearing that both like Madden and FIFA's like story mode is almost like an RPG because of like how you progress your character. That's... All you need is damage numbers, and then we're good to go. We can make the excuse. Yeah, I, I would I mean... assume someone like tackle someone, and then like this little <laughs> 100 floats above the body. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. I mean, staff chat says everything this day is an RPG. <laughs> True. I yeah. mean, you can make that argument. I, and I've seen like story mode clips of Madden where they have like dialogue choices. And it's like, oh, oh, shit, we should be covering this. Uh, that's not sincere. Please don't talk about Madden on this podcast ever again. <laughs> it's my fault. Why did I do this? But yeah, I we've had it. We know what a few... Madden is. Yeah, George, no. what is Madden for our British friends? <laughs> uh, I saw more cultured. I don't know a thing. <laughs> Man, if only we had a uh, boss dude, Alex, on. He he knows about the American footballs. He yeah. yeah he, he he is a weird. Uh, I don't know you. I don't, he yeah, is weird. I just add, I just add, just add this. It's there. A British man who loves football almost more than anything except arcade cabinets. Anyways, he's a good guy. We've had a few like cool events in the last week that have been interesting to look forward to in the doldrums of actual releases. We had the big Pokemon Presents Tuesday or Wednesday, which talked about the upcoming releases of Pokemon Legends Arceus and Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Uh, Skyrim was somehow announced again. We'll get to that. Todd, how do you keep kidding away with this? <laughs> we, we, and then we got a few other cool things. We had a couple updates on Genshin Impact, a, a new look at Black Myth Wukong. We'll get into that. But also, in the last week, we finally got the live public version of the Tales of Arise demo. So we had talked about this game in previous podcasts because we have been lucky enough to have 
some of our staff get uh, early access to uh, demos or pre preview events, and uh, George is one of them. So we have him here today as well. And then we've also had the public demo, which I know a few of us here have had a chance to sink their teeth into. Some of us new to the Tales series and some of us not so new. So I guess we'll kind of uh, start off with that. So I believe the, the two here that have played the demo have been Jess and Josh. One of them is new to it, and one of them has played a lot. So I'm going to start, I think, with Jess, because uh, you have not played a Tales game before. So this is, I have no idea what you take away from playing a, a demo like this when you don't know the series. But obviously, you saw something in it that interested you to play the demo. So just walk me through like what your experience with it was. Okay, so I mean, I did have the background of knowing that Tales is basically like a huge JRPG series, I feel like. It feels kind of like a sin to have not played any of the games up until well, now. Well, let me just context. <laughs> like for some of us, it's like Tales is something. It almost feels like we. It's always has been there. Like it's we know what it is, and it's like always has been like the staple thing that's like this ever present entity in JRPGs. So it's hard for me to like. Oh yeah, people with like a fresh perspective looking at this might have a completely different take compared to me or Josh. So like going into it with fresh eyes. What do you? How do you? perceived tales honestly when i was looking at it it kind of well like i was comparing it to scarlet nexus most of the time because that's the latest one that I, jrpg right. that i played through entirely and i couldn't help but think like there are certain things that i missed like for example you have a lot of allies so i kind of miss the just pressing the button twice to switch to the other ones instead of holding it down um there's also the cutscene stuff which i it kind of comes across as a manga thing, which I wasn't sure if I was a fan of. Um, you mean the skits? The skits, yeah. Um, so skits, uh, Josh, what are skits? Oh boy, uh, what are skits entails? So sometimes, as you saw Jess in the demo, like when you're wandering around, there, there'll be a little minuscule like topic thing at, the, like, at, a, set, at a corner of the screen, usually at like the bottom right corner. Um, and it'll say like a button and it'll say, and it says like, I don't know, I'm talking bees. And it's like R press R1 to bees. What does this mean? So you press you press it and it's like and it brings up as you saw, uh in in Arise it's like the manga panel, but in other uh past Tales games, it would bring up like kind of like an almost uh a VN type of uh like presentation uh when they're interacting with you and then like it'll have the, these little square portraits in older Tales games where they have like these anime uh, illustrated like 2D artwork kind um, of reactions, and then you'll see like the windows go up and down as they're speaking, kind of showing that they're interacting with each other. That's how they kind of bring character and personality to like what you saw in Arise. Now that's all fully animated in Engine, but it's similar to that. So that's kind of the, what the skits are. It's just basically slice of life bits of like kind of fleshing out more lighthearted topics to to one another okay i need to get yeah, a little... oh no it's fine that's a good explanation i didn't realize that it was something that continued throughout the series yeah it's a very popular thing that like like longtime fans like they basically expect that out of every game it's like according so to george the... according to george they got the idea from yakuza <laughs> oh really <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> uh, that, that was for, for context from my experience that was the first time i'd seen it so <laughs> right, right. Like, because like, uh, have you have you touched or any seen anything at all about like Yakuza Seven or like a Dragon Jess, like any gameplay clips or anything? Not exactly. Nope. So when you're like in that in that game, when you're running around and there's like the, there's your three party members behind you, 
um sometimes i'll just like mention something like uh like you're in front of a barber shop and then like you can kind of engage in that conversation with them further it's like oh you know i kind of need a haircut and whatnot so it's kind of like george says like it's kind of just like more lighthearted topics so if that's your first exposure to them obviously that's what's going to be their common link rather than what's been traditionally been there so anyway go continue your thought <laughs> okay so other than that um i played with i believe Xion, right the the, the, one the gun wielder the, right yeah 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 the gun wielder and I remember thinking that it's kind of, I'm still learning, I was thinking about how to juggle all the different teammates. Like, mm. um, I'd actually ask Josh, like, so I feel like the fist fighter law, like, he, I feel like it's his mission every time we get into a counter to kill himself as fast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> you should um, you should play Berseria then. If you, if you think he, he kills himself uh, as fast as possible, you should play Berseria and not play the, and have the AI play the main character of that game. Yeah, that's Boy. a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess I'm grateful for like I learned that you can actually um customize the different tactics to for mm -hmm. your different team members. Um personally, I did like Xion because like you can be far away from the enemy, which helped me stay alive longer than I bet I would <laughs> if I was playing a different character. Yeah. So yeah. obviously unlike Scarlet Nexus with Tails, and this is common throughout the series, you can play as any of the characters so they all have you know a play set whereas scarlet nexus you can only play as the two protagonists and then the other characters you can kind of just get their like assistance in certain attacks or whatever so it's always cool that tails can do that especially with you know this game has six playable characters so that's six different play styles even some games yeah. have like 10 characters that's kind of cool that they can you can have all these different play styles to mess around with yeah, yeah they're, they're pretty versatile here yeah were there any like uh were there any thoughts about like um when you're wandering around the world that what what console did you uh play this on oh i played it on a ps4 how how was the performance the there on like was it a base ps4 or a ps4 pro no just a regular ps4 um uh, how i mean did, how did I it thought, work for you um, i feel like it worked out pretty well like it was easy for me to like wander around like there's a i feel like it wasn't hard to figure out um what what to do how to interact with the environment you know like picking up stuff running into yeah. enemies the enemies kind of reminded me more of like pokemon because that one <laughs> because like you can run into them and then start uh encounter rather than just like uh, well in scarlet nexus they would kind of like run after you and start it right there yeah so it's not like uh it's not like even old rpgs where you like it'll be a random encounter like by just by stepping like an empty tile or something it's just you can see them all there and just run into them yeah, like I thought that was fair, and I mean it did look really good. I I don't know what it looks like on the next gen consoles, but I feel like I was satisfied with how it was on mine. Yeah, this, I've, uh, since I did try it on a base PS4, did it still give you that option in the the to prefer frame rate or graphics mode in it? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, all right. Because I, I, I tried out the that PS5 version. Is a, a frame rate mode. I'm guessing for PS PS4, it's just like a base mode. Yeah, it is interesting they... though. It's fascinating that the we've had comparisons from the Tail series to Pokemon, to Scarlet Nexus, and to Yakuza. <laughs> like it's just it's, it's just weird because like I see them all. Like those all make sense to me. Like to me, I, I I'm looking at oh they brought this idea from Vesperio or from Destiny or, or whatever. But like when when you're new to the series and you have to pull from another population of games that you're familiar with, it's like yeah I can see how it's kind of like Pokemon or I can see how it's kind of like Yakuza because you know that was borrowing from. Sorry, other JRPGs. Sending to see that sort of stuff, and it makes sense. It's just different. 
Yeah. Um, did, did this make you curious in uh one are you curious to try the full game now that you tried the demo? Yeah, I did plan on trying the full game, so I was like, huh, okay, that's how it is originally. Like I'm wondering um how what else happens because I feel like well, I didn't really get much of the, the plot, even though I did kind of get a glimpse into each of the characters and their playstyles. Yeah, that's the um, that's the hard thing about this demo, right? Because like I, even then, I like I barely paid attention to this gets in the on the plot. Because all of this is like enough prop up in the full game, and I kind of want the full context for these characters. So like uh, like uh, personally for me, I didn't feel like any attachment to the characters. Just that this like very like vertical, small vertical slice of the game. Because I I was just here to really test out like how does it play. More so than like, do I like these characters? So I'm like, I'll I'll get to that in the full game. Uh, yeah, that makes one, sense. That's like the one downside to an RPG demo, just by like design, not by design, but just how it is. is RPGs obviously are usually long games, very story driven, but also not just story, but like mechanics progress a lot from beginning to end. And trying to get like a vertical slice of that is hard enough. So you're only going to get a very small window into who these characters are without pretty much any context at all. So, you know, yeah. I and then I make assumptions or wait for the full game. Yeah. And it's also like, uh, I guess this qu next question is like going to be very early. Cause it's like, you only played just a very little bit of this game, but I'm curious that if you, if you end up liking a rise, uh, a rise uh, with its full game, uh, are you curious to try out like past tales games after that? Honestly, I did want to play past Tales games. Like, I even asked some mutuals, like, okay, which ones are the best ones? I already have Vesperia on my backlog. Mm -hmm. um, like, I have that game, actually, and I haven't played it yet. Because I right. wanted to do co-op with a friend, but no one wants to play with me. Um, and then there's also Tales of Abyss, which I think is the one that most people were like, this is the best game. You need to play this one right now. I'd it. say opinions are super varied on Tales. Abyss I feel like that's kind of mixed. Some people love it. Some people don't. <laughs> I was going to say, basically, in general, if you ask eight people what Tales games you should play, you'll get like seven different answers. You might get two to agree. That's just my like feeling, is that you're going to get a ton of different, like, no, actually, you got to get a fan translation of Destiny 2 or, or something. Like, I don't know. That's what chat would suggest. Um, Jess mentioned co-op. I know some people are kind of upset that Arise does not have co-op, because that has been a... A traditional thing in the series is that you could you could have a second player obviously like one player would kind of do like the story progression stuff but you could have a second player or even third and fourth player in battle you could play as the other players um so i i understand why some people are upset at that but they wanted to be fully single player focused this time around so so two two things oh one jess if like if if somehow we were able to work out a schedule between like our our crazy time zones, I would totally want to play Vesperia with you because I think uh, like I, nice. re I really like I really like uh, playing uh, Tales uh, co-op with people. So if we could somehow make it work, I'd be totally down to play it with you. Oh um, wait, which time zone are you again? I'm like Pacific time in the U.S. Oh, okay, that's actually not that crazy, honestly. Yeah, okay. Juicy's uh, coast. So okay, yeah, it's actually not crazy. Okay, um, wait, one more thing. Okay, is there? One of the things I saw trending online was like people were really excited about the raptigs. The oh pigs. okay. The rabbit the, pigs. Yeah, the oh, rabbit are, pigs. Uh, yeah, the, the, Tails has a couple of different like mascot sort of characters. I wonder, does the game have bun wiggles? I don't know. Bun I haven't seen bun wiggles. Bun wiggles. Yeah, they're like bunnies. They're, like, they're, like they're like bunnies that are really fat and they wiggle on their on their bellies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, imagine, imagine a Dragon Quest slime, only it's a bunny. 
I, I imagine they, they have to be there, right? I don't know, but the, they weren't in the demo. They were they were the rat, rat pigs um, and just standard horses and cows from what I remember, like the farmland area. Um, two, uh, I totally get why people are disappointed that Arise doesn't have co-op because that like like relatively high budget RPGs these days, especially JRPGs like don't have don't offer co-op features and tales was kind of like that landmark series like people could turn to at least uh, up until now where they could reliably like play with another friend because for all like you'd be surprised about a good chunk of their audience like like that thing about tales of just being able to play with another uh person um because that's just that's just not a thing that you really see anymore these days so well, I, this is I, a bit of a tangent i'm oh, sorry yeah this is a bit of a tangent but like I remember when the Call of Duty games always had campaign co-op, and I'm not a big Call of Duty fan, but I would love just to like maybe rent one or play one for 10 hours and go through it. And then when they stop pulling those out, when they stop adding, like none of the recent ones have that, as far as I know, I like my interest just plummeted. And I know like Halo, they don't have, they just announced for the new Halo game coming. Yeah, we're talking about Madden and Halo on this RPG podcast. Sorry, this is my yes. fault. Uh, I like they announced they announced that that one's not going to launch with campaign co-op and people are mm-hmm. legitimately like bummed out because it's oh, yes. kind of like it lowers the barrier of entry. It's like, this is, isn't a game I would typically play, but I would love to play it through with my best friend or my family or whatever. And when you pull that out, certain people are just going to be like, eh, I'm no longer interested. So I can definitely see if, if someone's played every Tales game or the majority of them with a friend or with a, with a buddy. And now they don't have that option. I could see a lot of people just being like, oh, I'm not interested anymore. Kind of so. similarly, um, I'm not a Resident Evil fan. But I did end up playing. Oh, that's another good one. Yeah, simply because you could play them in co-op. Uh, Adam yeah, and I are brothers, so basically, like we're we're referring to other each other indirectly there. Uh, but yeah, we played through Resident Evil Five and Six in co-op and, and played none of the other games. We we're like, hey, this is something we can play together for together, twenty hours right. or whatever. They, they get and, fun yeah. in co-op. Yeah, yeah, those are really fun in co-op. Good choices. Uh, it's like how it's designed for, but as a single-player experience, it's kind of lacking. But yeah, then you run into that problem of whether the game is designed for single player and then kind of like twisted into a co-op experience or vice versa. Uh, back to Tales. Going back to Tales, Brian and I played Tales of the Abyss on PlayStation 2 in the mid-2000s when it released. Tales of the Abyss, for those who don't know, has a system, that it's called Field of Phonons, where you can do an attack and it like leaves a mark on the field where if another person does an attack on that mark, it can be like altered in a way. Like, for example, one character might do a lightning attack and it leaves, like, a spark on the field. And if another character does a different attack on that, spark, on that spark, it'll, like, be an electric version of the attack. So you can kind of chain together, like, these cooperative attacks in this way. And that actually worked pretty well in co-op because you can set things up and communicate. And it was pretty cool. Obviously, like, in single player, you kind of just have to do whatever the AI does. but um, Or you can shortcut it. Right, but it just it worked. It was, that was just one of those like small systems that worked better in co-op, and it was fun. It was one of the one of the cases where Tales co-op was really cool. Oh, so going back to uh, Jess's experience with the demo, does the demo allow you to play with all six characters? Yes. Yes. Um, you can play through each character, and I believe each one gets a special cutscene at the end. But I only played through Shion so far. Yeah, how it uh, divides it up is when you uh, start the demo, say, "Hey, you can." Uh, you can pick between each of these six characters, but e- even when you choose their, like, you choose that character, you're not locked to that character for that playthrough. You can still switch characters mid battle and and alter like you know your party setup and whatnot. So you're not you're not bound to them. And then the the three there's three like cinematic movies that um 
or that play after the end of the demo, depending on if you beat it. It's, just, it's like the duos. So if you do it, do it with Alfin or Shion, it'll play their movie. If it's Law or Rinwell, it's their movie. And then if it's um, Dohalim, or I forgot his name, I think it's Dohalim and Kisara, uh, it's their do like movie. Like it's kind of like just a trailer, basically with their narration and whatnot. Back to the like multiple characters thing. When you get really like into the weeds a bit, when you're like in a hectic battle, even playing single player, there are times you can not only set different shortcuts to your you know, to your control scheme to have a certain character do a certain thing, which is sometimes useful for, like, your healer. Like, hey, healer, do your do this healing spell right now, sort of thing, because they may not do it on their own otherwise. Um, so that's useful. But you can even just, on, in many Tales games, switch characters mid-battle if you need, like, somebody to move uh, because of some attack or maybe your healer is getting too close or whatever. So there are cases where sometimes you just, if you get good enough at controlling it where you switch to a different character just for a moment to like position them and then switch back so yeah i, I guess i guess it's a good time to really just delve deep into how exactly tales of rises battle system like works because uh like uh, it, it, it takes a while for like when when they're showing off marketing it's like oh it's this 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 and this it's like oh okay well i guess that kind of makes sense but after getting like uh, like spending some hours with the battle system like it, it's really very freeform and um it, it's very flexible i was very surprised that especially it's a big big upgrade from um how they kind of did the soul gauge system with berseria um in, in berseria you know you had like these diamonds they were in tales of destiny i think as well um where uh you have arts like your special skills on you and they consume part of these this soul gauge um in berseria it felt a little bit limiting because yeah uh whenever you got hit in battle it would take off the maximum amount of like soul gauge that you have so it felt very punishing if you got hit in battle and that i didn't really like that about berseria and um arise they call it the action gauge so i guess for simplicity's sake i'll offer prefer to as uh the action gauge now it's still like these diamonds and you kind of have a good amount of them you have like maybe eight or nine um of course i don't know if you start out with this amount at the beginning of the game it's like this vertical slice had all your party members at level 25 it was still I imagine it's like a good amount of hours into like the final game if this is like a, a real area in the game or real scenario. Um so uh unlike Berseria, you actually have like a standard attack button that you can use. In in Berseria, you can only use arts as attacks. So you didn't have like any like if you were like idling and you didn't have any um action gauge in there, you couldn't really do much. But here you actually have a standard attack. Uh, sequence. So let's take um, Alfin, for example, because he's the one of the sword, very basic, um, but very flashy. And uh, how it works in Arise is your arts now are split into uh, whether you're on the ground or you're in the air. So one of um, Alfin's arts launches them into the air, or you, you can just do a manual jump in battle as well and gain access to it like that. So you have, for the purposes of the demo, they had uh, you could bind three arts on the ground and three in the air. They later confirmed in a, in their in a YouTube video on the Tales of YouTube channel that they'll have additional binds. So they added additional three on the ground and additional three in the air for a total of six on the ground and six in the air in the in the final game. I don't know if they'll expand that anymore, but that's the info that we were given at the moment. So it's a healthy amount. You have you have a twelve arts accessible to you at any time. Um, so as you're uh 
playing through battles and doing your uh mixing up your arts and your uh and your normal attacks you're as you're expending uh these diamonds uh you can actually refill them very fast you have access to like these uh support attacks from your characters at the dictated by the bottom left corner where they can just like hop in as like a support attack like in like a a fighting game almost and after they do their uh attack support attack uh you instantly refill three uh action gauge uh three diamonds on it and these already refill really fast if you don't like attack for like a second and they refill like within maybe a second and a half almost which is still faster than berseria so you so you have access to a lot of like uh that resource already because uh everyone's gauge is uniquely independent so if you use Xion's support attack it'll refill three if you use laws uh support attack they're all on different gauges so that'll refill three so you always always have a a constant uh resource for uh, activating arts and whatnot and that was really cool i felt re- that felt really good just like you know kind of mashing your way through battles and thinking up of like unique combo opportunities uh to do that um as well as in the demo only alfred had access to his mystic art which is like his ultimate attack so at a certain point, uh, he, he can go into like this over gauge where, like your now your diamonds transform into like a bar that's filling down gradually, and you have access to you can perform as many arts as you want on there. But then you also have access to your mystic art where you can like uh, press two arts buttons at the same time in a attack string for him to do his ultimate attack. So it it brings up a lot of strategy of how you want to play in terms of like okay, uh, when do I want to launch this? Uh, enemy in the air because as you're as you hit enemies they'll eventually hit break status and break status for normal enemies means that they react to hit stun so anytime you hit them they they kind of flinch you can uh, launch them into the air more easily and get access to your abilities there i think the one thing i didn't like in the demo was i think it's this is a this uh vesperia problem as well i believe where it's very difficult to get a big uh unique enemies and bosses into a break state so it's hard for like for them for you to juggle them. You kind of have to. Um, at a certain point, you can't just mash against them and uh, and kind of break put them into break status. You have to respect that they're gonna attack, and you have to be ready for it. Um, at least it seems lo- like it avoids the issue of being low on TP, and you just kind of have to like build it up through attacking very slowly. I think mm-hmm. Abyss and Vesperia both kind of have that issue where. Uh, other games they've kind of gotten away from that in various different ways like uh tales of graces had its own mechanic where that allowed you to do arts more readily and then it sounds yeah and it sounds like uh arise is also a little bit more more clever about it as well yeah so so it, it does it does feel good the battle system does feel good i was very impressed with that there's also um an for all the other characters you can uh you can like do a dodge roll to evade but kasara instead of having a dodge roll she has her shield of course to guard and then there's like instant dodge and instant shield mechanics where kind of like bayonetta almost where if you um do a perfect uh instant dodge it'll kind of slow down time just for a little bit and let you get in a counter attack so that, that's a nice little touch and uh other than that it's like it's everyone has their own little like nuances like Alpha kind of almost has the Velvet thing where he'll sacrifice some HP to do damage, though not as egregious as Velvet. Um, Rinvel is interesting because she's the mage of the party, so she has her own mechanics of how you um, cast spells because you, there's a whole system where you can uh, 
store a spell by holding down the magic button and then like in your next attack streak it'll fire off that spell so you can do kind of like chain magic on and then if you have a if you reserve that spell and you cast another spell at the same time you can like upgrade that magic too so she's very versatile in that as jess might have uh seen with uh Xion, Xion has uh is very versatile with her uh with her ranged attacks and how you chain them into one another especially with her support attack because you uh, uh each character can do like their own support attack almost to refill their diamonds as well and and she has uh gren- grenades as well and there's a really funny skit in the demo and i'm sure you saw it just did you see the skit about um alfin and Xion having this exchange about like oh like the world's most dangerous healer yeah, and then they were like, where did the bombs come from? And it's like, oh, you know, it's like, a, it's actually my energy condensed into a little ball. Yeah, and then and then uh, Shion's like, well, you know, you just got to get it out of the way or else I'm just going to have to heal you, you know, just, uh, just deal with it, oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's so a nice little exchange there. Um, Law, of course, martial arts. The whole limb is really fun because his animation to the staff is really, really great for aerial combat. And I was watching some people... Um, do like theory crafting with Tales of Arise's system where they do like a, an aerial combo and then they'll do like Shion's support attack. And then after she does her support attack, they'll actually switch to her character in mid support attack. So they now have control of her. So there's actually a lot of room. Like almost every Tales games does this where they have like a dedicated like battle theory crafting community of like how they can break like the system open to, for more like combo theory and whatnot, which is kind of. Not not necessarily ex- exclusive to Tales, but the 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 community, the longstanding community, is definitely one of the more unique communities out there because of how Tales kind of varies up its action RPG system every entry. But you know, it's the the demo is a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun exploring it. There's like little touches that uh, that I got a kick out of. For example, um, when you're at the equipment screen. Um, you can actually access like the character viewer viewer like the model viewer there so you can like have your characters do certain action poses and zoom out or zoom in on them and then after you get out of that model viewer it'll like preserve that that uh camera angle and pose in the, in the equipment screen but only for that instance so if you go back if you exit out and then go back into dirt back into their idle pose but it's just like one of those really goofy things like you didn't you probably didn't have to do this but that's really funny so I imagine a lot of people are gonna have like fun with like all the outfits and whatnot uh, that this game will have and kind of uh, pose them in really funny ways. And I guess uh, uh, Bandai Namco uh, recently announced as well that they're on top uh, outfits. Uh, they were teasing like, "Oh, this game's gonna have collaboration uh, costumes with uh, our other series," and then they re- unveiled that a few days ago, where. Um, Xion's gonna get uh, Mia's outfit from Code Vein, so like that big hat that she has in her black coat. Um, Rinwell's gonna have a uh, outfit from the Idol Master Starlit Season, which is the new Idol Master game coming out, and it's like one of the costume dresses in that game. And the funny one was um, that stuck out to me was uh, Kisara is getting Nino Williams's outfit from Tekken. It's like from Tekken Four, I think, or Tekken Five. It's like that purple body tight suit outfit. But it's kind of out of nowhere. Tekken 7. Is it Tekken 7? Does she wear it too? I thought I thought Nina no. wore a wedding dress. I think it's like Tekken, Tekken 5. Does, I think that spin-off game. Do you remember that spin-off game? Uh yeah, it's like something of vengeance or something. Yeah, it's based on that costume. Oh, okay. Was, is it, is it that? Or, or, I thought, no, it's I thought, in three, I think. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, like, was it 
I, there, she must have worn, worn it like between like before that spinoff game. I thought I thought it was like four or five, but I can't remember. It's it's not her it's not her latest outfit because her latest outfit in seven, I think it's the default wedding it's uh, wedding dress. I think right. Hmm. I think that's what it is. But I'll just be uh, honest. Like this this stuff doesn't move me. Just like oh okay whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just it's just, it's just a fun, fun for goofs, you know. And there uh, like a lot of the tales community like likes to dress up their characters in goofy outfits. And whatnot and accessories, so it's a it's a fun thing. But it, it's a Horizon is looking really promising. I really like the demo uh, and what I saw there. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward more to it. I the cure points thing is kind of a to, to me at the moment. It's it feels like a non-issue that we were talking about the other uh, week, where you use cure points to like heal up your allies and whatnot, and then you might need them for the uh, dungeon mechanics. But then you have this campfire that you can rest at. Where it'll just instantly cure it, uh, all, all of it, and whatnot. I, I think the the last thing worth uh, worth mentioning that just alluded to earlier was this game ha- kind of has like a light gambit system to it, where you can, like in other Tales games, you know, you can set like your AI strategies, like be more conservative MP, or like go all out, or whatnot. And in this one, you can make like cust like a custom uh, AI behavior almost. Where you're doing a lot of like if you can add like if then statements to it. So like if your HP is below fifty percent, then uh, or if Law's HP is below fifty percent, then Law will cast Heal on himself. Or if uh, Ally is KO'd, then use this healing um, resurrection item. But only if you have ten or more of this item. So and you can like add keep on stacking commands like that and really fine tune like AI behavior so you don't have to like worry about them um like running your inventory dry or running your cure points dry and whatnot. So it, it gives you a lot of versatility to it. And then the the last thing that uh I'll mention that really irked me about the demo, but then I got I the, my uh worries were alleviated was um in the demo since you know you're really reliant on having access to your arts of the air, uh when you're in the air for that demo you can't evade um, and I was like, oh man, I'm stuck in the air. I'm going to get hit because I'm I'm just locked into this animation in the air and I have no way to dodge. Um, they the, so I, I saw a screenshot from one of the Bandai Namco things where they, they rolled out that system of like titles now have like their own skills to it. So like you obtain a title and then like you can unlock uh, skills based on the titles that you have. And one of like the early ones, I guess, is you can uh, unlock like a mid-air evasion. And I was like, okay, cool. They're actually allowing for that um, in the game, which is I'm going to try to unlock that immediately because I like dodging a lot. So that's kind of like my final uh, first impressions on it. It's it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. One of the other things that I wanted is like, um, you know, like if you get knocked down, you need to like stay there and like get plowed through with another attack. Oh, yeah. They, they're really good at like juggling you at times, especially when like the boss like does its swipe attack. It's like comboing you in the corner. <laughs> like, oh no. Yeah. So I'm hoping there's another skill for that. I know Scarlet Nexus had like a get up skill where you press a button and you bounce right back off instead of just mm-hmm. stay there. So yeah. that's something I would like to. Yeah. I, th- I imagine they'll allow for that. There'll be a skill like that in, in the. In the skill panel, the the skill panel was a a locked feature, so that wasn't accessible in the in the demo. But yeah, um, it's only what how many weeks? Like three weeks left, almost. So almost there. It's a coming. Do you have any other uh, final thoughts on the demo on your side, Jess? Mm, 
Not a particular, just like a, I mean, I feel like it enticed me enough, like, even if, oh, we didn't get much into the characters, like, there's little bits that I was like, okay, why, like, a, how did they meet, or, like, what is this special power that Xion has, or, like, Alfin has, so I feel like it uh, did everything that it needed to to get me invested, basically. Cool. So you're getting a good enough feel for what you can, like Adam said, it's hard in a vertical slice, but the character interactions, you're like, I want to see more of this and see, like, how they came to be here. And where the, where the plot is going. Yeah, and the gameplay was satisfying enough with, like... I mean, like you mentioned with the with the diamonds, I didn't feel like I was really need... I, was, I didn't feel like um I was ever really running out too much of the skill points, so... I feel like it was a pretty fluid gameplay experience, and I'm interested in the character, so definitely would try it out. Yeah, and to, for perspective, Jess, like, imagine those diamonds, but every time you got hit, uh, it would, you would lose a diamond. Like oh, yeah, that's, that's how terrible. That, yeah, that's how Berseria was. We're like, oh, I guess I'm being limited by like what I can do, and it did, that didn't feel good. So I'm, I'm glad they got they improved on that system. It's sort of self punishing in a way where it's like you're doing you're not doing well. Well, we're gonna make it even harder for you. Like, oh, thanks. yeah. <laughs> so the next game on the list is something that James is going to have to speak to. Uh, this is something that we wanted to talk about last week, but we couldn't squeeze it in, and that is. Help me! I hope I get this right. Utawara Mono Zan Two. There. Close enough. So close enough. I know. I know. We've talked about you know, on previous Zan Two. Zan. Okay, not Zan. Zan. We've talked about like Mask of Deception, Mask of Truth, and some of those from the original like three games uh, on previous podcasts. And but as far as I understanding is that Zan One was an action spinoff, and Zan Two is a follow up of that. So. James, either correct me or take it off and elucidate on uh, what Zon 2 is and what you feel about it. So they're both definitely action spinoffs, uh, kind of uh, Musou-type style. Um, I believe the developer is Tamsoft, who's done, um, well, I think they did the Center and Kagura games along with Marvelous. And Tamsoft they also does did... a lot of uh, Compile Heart uh, Neptunia games. Yeah. Um, so Zon is interesting because not only is it a spin-off, but um, the first one was roughly an adaptation of Mask of Deception, and Zon 2 is roughly an adaptation of Mask of Truth. And I, I actually reviewed Zon 1. I gave it a 6 out of 10. I said that it's absolutely not a fantastic game. It's fun enough. My main issues with it were a lack of content and the fact that as an adaptation of Mask of Deception, it makes no sense to play it if you haven't played the original because it condensed so much of the story that it just didn't make sense to recommend to people. And uh, I remember in my original review actually saying that I felt like Zon 2 could uh, be a lot better if they ever did it because first off, even if they condensed uh, Mask of Truth to the same degree that they condensed uh, Mask of Deception, Mask of Truth itself is just so much larger Mask of Deception and has so many more battles that they could adapt that obviously it would be a much larger game regardless and also I remembered saying that one thing that stood out to me about Zon 1 was right at the very ending they had a cutscene for the ending for Mask of Deception it was really well animated it was like an actual like 3D animated scene whereas everything else was literally just like talking heads like recreating the visual novel which I felt like that was a really big missed opportunity because if you're going to make the game 
into a 3D brawler like a Muso game and you're going to make it, oh, it's all 3D models and all that, take advantage of that. Like make cutscenes, do stuff like that. I mean, like I know so many people that love the uh, Naruto Ultimate, Ultimate Ninja Storm games because even though they're adaptations of the anime, they take advantage of the fact that it's 3D to show all these things. And anyways, Zon 2 basically did everything that I wanted as a sequel to Zon 1 to change. Because now there's all these different cutscene adaptations of these really key scenes and Mask of Truth. So I wouldn't recommend Zon 2 to everyone, but if you're a fan of Utsuharu Mono, it's like really cool to see all of these scenes in 3D with these really good animations. Especially at the very ending of the game, there's just like, just pops off, does a ton of really cool stuff. The problem with uh, Zon 2 is it does actually have some new story content, mostly side story stuff. But because of that, that means that there are portions of Zon 2's story that don't have a localization yet. So they can't just simply grab the Atlas script and like insert it into the game. So it still might be localized. Who knows? But I, I'm not sure if I would count on it yet. Are you Are you First glad that you it was it was so? NIS America, right? Yeah, it was NIS America, and actually, they outright told me that um, the deal with it was is that they really were only interested in Prelude to the Fallen, but then Aquaplus was like, "Hey, do this. We have we'll we'll give you the license for this as a freebie," and they're like, "Okay, well, it's already localized. We can give it a little bit of marketing. It's like free money." <laughs> but yeah. um. Considering that I assume that Zon 1 probably did not sell very well, and the fact that Nisa would have to put a bit more effort into Zon 2, I am not sure if they will bite on it. And if they don't bite on it, I don't know who would. Because uh, Shiravoon has some folks that are, that are really interested in the series, but they're a PC publisher exclusively. And that's a lot of uh, effort they'd have to go um, like put into it to localize it so who knows i feel I mean, like almost everything gets localized these days except tsukihime so that that's that's my guiding philosophy is everything will eventually get localized except tsukihime well hopefully i mean it, it's funny how we got a like day and date localization for the melty blood uh well the new melty blood <laughs> but we don't have anything for the game that it's basically an advertisement for <laughs> it hurts it hurts. It's 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 coming out soon too. It's like coming out like in like a next week month. And yeah, in a week and a half. No, it's I, oh, no. no next no, next month remake, is Melty. Yeah, yeah, re yeah. remake Tsukimi remake. It's like yeah. Soon. Are we gonna have to make space for another fighting game on the podcast? Yes, <laughs> maybe probably. <laughs> uh, so okay, I'll look forward to that. Well, actually, don't worry, Josh. I'm sure the Melty Blood uh, title will have its own like visual novel story mode. You can pretend that you're playing the Tsukihime remake. Mm, all right. Pain. Are you glad that you imported uh, Zon 2? Uh, yes, I'm definitely going to write up something about it, but it's uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to what which angle I'm going to go for yet, but I'm enjoying it. I, I had a good time. I, I don't regret importing it specifically because I have my doubts it's going to be localized, and if it does, it will be a while. So it, it was nice. Definitely. I forgot. Is that is the same developers Tamsoft? Are they working on that Neptunia versus Senran Kagura game? Yes, okay. I believe so. I believe so. But yeah, 
And then I do know, James, that you spoke a little bit last week about your experience with the second part, or actually also the first part of Fantasian, which I've wanted to get to, but I haven't had a chance yet. But I know that you've been working your way through it. And we kind of gave you space to follow up with like some concluding thoughts this week. And you had brought up in a couple of different conversations some things that were really at the tip of your at the tip of your tongue or at the front of your mind uh, that you wanted to bring up here today. Okay, so first off, uh, and we kind of talked about this last week, Fantasian's second half is very different from the first part. Not just in terms of the structure, but like it's a radically different game. The story really starts going off in these different directions. The gameplay changes up quite a bit because you get access to the growth map and it's much more open-ended. Like very early on, you get access to the Urza, I think that's how you pronounce it, or is it Urza? Yeah, like the the, the, the ship. ship. Yeah. The ship. So you can move around the world and like the first part of Fantasian was basically entirely linear. Like there were things that you could check off the beaten path, but otherwise it was just completely just go from one location to the next and then eventually hit the point where shit happens and uh, part two is very Final Fantasy VI World of Ruin esque where you start off, you have to regather your party. Like I can say that it's I won't say why that happens, but just it's very much Final Fantasy VI inspired because even like once that happens, you even get this uh, story quest called um, uh, "In Search of Friends." <laughs> Relatable. Yeah, we made that. We yeah, we invoked that uh, comparison last week, but it's a, it's a safe comparison. But it's you know it's a it's a good foundation for uh for segmenting an RPG. So it works. Yeah. Um. So the one thing I want to talk about uh this week, and I it's really hard to. to talk about specifics because um both uh, josh and i talked a little bit about the bosses last week and how they have their each unique gimmicks and how more specifically the game gets a bit more difficult in the second half and i'm literally staring at the final boss right now in the game i need to grind a little bit because and one thing i will talk about later is like the pacing of like levels and whatnot but the bosses in the second part get really, really difficult. And I'm not sure how much you've been uh, paying attention to the chat about uh, Fantasian in that uh, one RPG server we're in, uh, Adam. But if you've been paying attention at all, like there's just a handful of us that have been playing it, and all of us have been like, why is this so hard? We didn't expect it. <laughs> it's like one of the hardest RPGs I've played in a long time. Yeah, Sakaguchi is not fucking around anymore. He's like, you know what? RPG is too easy these days. So, I guess being vague, like, how far are you into the game, uh, Josh? Like, what level I, range? Uh, I'm, like, in the level 40-ish range. I haven't really proceeded, uh, like, I haven't done, I haven't really picked up the game uh, since, like, last time because uh, I've been de dealing with some real-life stuff, so I don't really want, like, a, a mentally stressful game right now uh, in the midst of all that, and I, that's what I've heard about Fantasian Part Two, it's like it's really good, but it will it will really like strain you. So I'm like, ah, uh, maybe I'll like hold this off for a little bit until like I'm in a better like when things have calmed down at, at, in my uh, certain life at the moment. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Basically, the best way to describe it is that um, if Part One is like, well, actually, the only way to say it is that Part One's a tutorial. 
once you finish part mm -hmm. one, the game's just like, okay, you should know what you're doing. You've got all of your characters. You better know how each of them works because one of the defining characteristics of the game is that each of the bosses has a unique gimmick. And the way that the game kind of forces you to swap out your party is that certain bosses will require like skills that certain party members have or a combination of skills that certain party members have. And in some cases, the game will outright tell you this. And you'll um, one of the things it kind of does is that normally you have access to the ability to swap out party members in the middle of combat. And there are a number of bosses where a specific character will like force themselves into your party when you fight it and you cannot swap them out because oh. they are a required character for that boss fight interesting so and josh was kind of talking about this before the podcast so i'll just it, it's really hard to talk about the bosses in this game because since each of them is pretty unique it you don't want to talk about them because they're kind of spoiling the whole fun of figuring out okay how the hell do i beat them but so many of them just have really radically different ways of tackling them. One that's pretty early on into part two, so I'll mention it, is that for one of uh, Ez's uh, quests, there's a boss that will start off by immediately summoning a bunch of these like little bulb enemies. And the, de the deal with the fight is that if you hit those bulb enemies, they will blow up and do a ton of damage to your entire party. So you want to use his vacuum skill to kind of reposition them so that they're not in front of the boss so you can attack the boss without worrying about damaging yourself. And that's just like one instance of like how the game forces you to use your party to its fullest. There's other examples. And also uh, that also uh, takes makes positioning like crucially important as well. Yeah, positioning, especially in the second half of the game, comes really important. There's like a few instances of it in part one, like the one boss where it, when it opens its mouth, uh, Cheryl's uh, attacks will deal extra damage because literally she's just like jumping directly into its mouth to deal damage. But um, there's another one early on in part two where just one gimmick of the fight is that you need to kind of catch up to it. It'll like grab something and you're chasing it. And you need to attack parts of its body to slow it down and you have to time it because its body is like it's like a big like centipede dragon thing and it's like moving its body like shifting like rotationally and you have to wait until its weak part is like visible so you can attack it in order to actually deal damage to break those parts to slow it down so you can eventually get back to the other phase it's definitely so just, uh, so just uh, going by. Uh, I have not played it, so this is me. I plan on playing it. I hundred percent plan on playing it. But so this is just me going by what you've said and me envisioning it. I'm I'm of two minds of like I'm glad that the bosses are more than just do as much damage as quickly as possible and heal yourself sometimes because a lot of RPG bosses are basically just that just DPS just do a bunch of damage. So I'm I'm glad it seems like you actually have to deal damage in a certain way or with a certain strategy but also i hope it's not too like lock and key where you have to do it this one specific method and if you're not doing it that way you're not going to win so it's sort um, of a balancing act it's lock and key basically every <laughs> boss you have to play by its rules or you're not going to win yeah um, there's, there's lots of the, like muscle to it with stats it's definitely well it, it's it's the best way to describe it is that 
play by the, it's not play by the boss's rules or suffer. It's play by the boss's rules and suffer, but maybe live. Because even if you know what to do, the game is incredibly like challenging and incredibly strict with making sure, like keeping up with buffs, keeping up with debuffs on the boss, keeping up with healing. Ah, God, so many bosses, you basically are forced to give them an attack down debuff and buff the defense on your entire party. And it'll still do like 4,000 damage in a multi-hit attack. And you're basically forced to heal immediately afterwards. It's... Yeah. Mm. It's... I, 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 I really wonder if they're going to give this another pass of like maybe like tune, like uh, maybe, like maybe if they receive feedback and like they, they look at the statistics, like maybe they just overtune some stats or whatever for some of these boss encounters. I wonder because I, 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 I already saw that like... Uh, a friend of mine got to like uh, a dungeon that's not even added to the game yet. It's like, oh, it'll be added in a later update and whatnot. And it's like, oh, that's weird. So this is still gonna come out with content. There's not like the end right now, definitively. The no, end. No, it is. It is. It's just really funny because there's two um, aspects of the game that aren't in there yet. There's a post-game dungeon called the Void Realm, and then there's New Game Plus. The problem is, is that you wouldn't actually know it's not in the game yet until you try to go to it. Because literally, it's a, you pick up something in this optional area, and it's like, it says, oh, you can have, you have access to the Void Realm now. And then you try and go to it on the world map, and it says, this is not in the game yet. It'll come in, an, in a later update. And then there's like this time gate that if you go to with this metal, it'll say, oh, do you want to go to New Game Plus? And you click yes, and it says New Game Plus will not be available until a, a later update. Yeah, so that, that's what I mean. But like, it's like, yes, the, the story has, the, there's probably a story end to it, but like for the lifespan of the game, there is still content that will be released for it that yeah, you know, is not implemented in the game yet. I'm not sure if they're going to make it easier because the game knows it's bullshit. Like, right after I finished an optional boss, it outright said, like, there's like a commentary about like one of the characters saying, man, cause it's, it's the booby trap chest from part one that you couldn't, uh, you couldn't beat in part one. Mm -hmm. Uh, basically now you can, but when you finish it, like Leo outright says, man, I need to make the next one absorb all elements and like, uh, uh, debuff the entire party. And it's like, they, they, they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. Just God. Um, I still have, I'm still having a lot of fun. I, I mean, I think since I'm at the final boss, I'm close enough to the end to say my quote unquote final thoughts. It's a great game. It's definitely not for everyone though, because it's an incredibly challenging RPG. And at the start of the game, you wouldn't really know it because it just, you reach a point where the game just goes like, okay, training wheels are off. You better know what you're doing. And I enjoy that. And it's a lot of fun figuring out what the game wants you to do for each of the boss fights. But I also understand that for a lot of people, that's not what they signed up for. Yeah, and it's 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 somewhat deceiving because it, there's no ramp up to it. It's kind of, it kind of, you just like slam into a wall. And it's like, oh, shit, what do I do? <laughs> you know, oh, I know, the... I know there are, I know there are serious doubts whether or not this game will ever get ported. But let's just say there is some expiration on its exclusivity, years, whatever. Let's just assume it is. Like, mm -hmm. is it possible they retune it if it comes out for PlayStation or Switch or whatever? Like, I think it's maybe? always possible. I, yeah, I mean, it's it's possible, but let's put it this way: this game is this 
this uh, difficult and it's a mobile game. Mm-hmm. So if anything, I feel like they they'd have even less worry about the difficulty if they're going to release it on a console platform, which and I hate to generalize most players that are playing on consoles are going to be more hardcore than folks playing games on their iPhone. See, what they have to do now is they just have to like lean into it. They just have to advertise it. This game is like the Dark Souls of classic JRPG. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not being serious, by the way. Don't, don't take me it's, It is kind of weird because like the other Mistwalker efforts weren't really like that. They were more just like even keeled. So oh, yeah. this is kind of a different tack for them. Yeah. In fact, uh, Blue Dragon, which I forget if that's only partially Mistwalker, but like that game was criticized for being too easy. And I know a lot of people say, like, you should play this game on hard mode. It's not actually hard. It just makes it like engaging. <laughs> Blue Dragon is great, by the way. But yeah, Fantasian, great game. I do not know if I'm going to come back for the post-game dungeon. Like, and <laughs> I've seen that same exact sentiment from the other two people in that Discord that have been playing through it because it's like... The game's already ball-bustingly difficult. And then you're saying, oh, here's a post-game dungeon, which, of course, is going to be even harder. And it's like, I'm not sure if I want to do that. Like, maybe if it was in the game right now, I would consider it. But the fact that I'm going to finish the game, put it down for several months, and then an update's going to come out that's going to add even more difficult content. And I have to then you have to resub. Yeah, it's just like... (laughs) No, no, I'm sorry, Sakaguchi. I love this game. It's probably one of my like really strong contenders for game of the year so far. But no, no, I, I like I might I might be a dungeon RPG player, which means that I have at least a bit of a masochism streak, but not that much. Please, no. Yeah, I've I've I'm, I'm definitely gonna get back to it. Just I like like as everything you're saying, it's like. I, I need something somewhat relaxing right now. Like in my spare time, like the I've been replaying the uh, Judgment, but the remaster now in preparation for the sequel next month, and I've been having a blast with that. And that's that's kind of what I need right now. It's kind of like a somewhat of more of a chill game, even though it's kind of like a, a grim game st- storyline wise. But I can't do like super hard bosses right now. I'm like, ah, oh. oof. Yeah, we kind of talked about it in a little bit of a different context where. Uh, these other games like Wasteland 3 or Outer Worlds were like would get it's not it's not a post game dungeon, but they add stuff after like you put the game down for several months and you're like, I, I, I maybe if it was there months ago, I would have tried it, but I'm done with the game now. I don't I don't really have that much inclination to go back. So that's kind of what that reminded me of when you said that that's kind of like the breaking point is the fact that it's not there now and you don't know what your mind space will be whenever it does get added. Like you'll be, you'll, you'll have forgotten how to play the game. <laughs> it's all, we see these things about RPGs about like, where was I? What was I doing? How do I play again? Um, almost, almost like every I, time there's like a post, like a, a DLC or an expansion or whatever. I've getting readjusting to the game is always just kind of a tedious thing. I remember doing it for Outer Worlds. I remember doing it for Horizon when they had like the Frozen Wastes or whatever they called it. Frozen Wilds, expansion. yeah. Yeah, Frozen Wilds. And um, it just, you know, comes out several months or sometimes even more than a year after the game. Just like, how do I play this again? Actually, so. recently uh, I had played the uh, Yuffie DLC. Oh, yeah. The like, I, I, had, I had played Final Fantasy VII Remake on hard mode and I figured out how to beat the final boss and it was difficult and I got pretty good at the game, I think. And then, um, and then I pick up the controller again a year later to play the Yuffie DLC and I'm like, Babby's first controller. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then eventually I have to work my way back up to defeating uh, the, the the optional content in that DLC. So it never gets any easier. Or maybe it's just the fact that you know we get older and that, that's why it gets harder. I don't know. 
But, but yeah, I mean, I feel that. Go ahead. There's so much I want to talk about Fantasian, but it's again totally one of those cases where you don't want to spoil the surprise. Yeah, it's especially so many... the way these bosses are are set up, you don't want to just give away the yeah. answer. I like, probably oh, yeah, shouldn't boss, you have to do this. I, I probably shouldn't have tweeted about this one like mechanic thing it does for these like one side quests. Um, Adam probably knows what I'm talking about, but it's like that was one of those things where it's like, ah man, if this wasn't a game the year contender for me. It, before it's sure it certainly is now but uh i guess the last thing i want to say is that it is indeed as long as sakaguchi was saying it is because i am like 58 hours in i need to do a bit of grinding before the final boss so i'm definitely going to end the game at over 60 hours which considering how said. difficult the game is that's 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 a commitment, like both time wise as well as just like actually. Oh no, I have to think about how what I'm doing in this in this turn based JRPG. Well, imagine thinking in RPGs. Go back to playing Final Fantasy IV where you don't have to think. <laughs> I will. Coming up uh, with a <laughs> remaster soon, any day probably. now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the next time we uh, talk about Fantasian more in depth is when it shows up on the end of the year discussions, because I'm sure it'll be there in some capacity. The last game we want to talk about, I think, is just for a couple minutes, just a check-in uh, of a game that had been previously on the podcast, Monster Hunter Stories 2. We kind of made fun of like the extent to how they like drip-fed that marketing to us. And then obviously we did the review, and James had talked about it, and I believe we even had Cullen talking about it, at least on one podcast. Um, but I also wanted to hear Adam's perspective, because unlike the rest of us, Adam has gone through and played Monster Hunter Stories 1 and 2 back-to-back, without having ever played another Monster Hunter game. So, so Adam, I just kind of wanted to get like your quick thoughts about like Monster Hunter Stories and Stories 2 being your first foray into the series. Just like, what is your immediate, off-the-cuff impression, having played through those? Okay, so Monster Hunter is a series that has interested me, but not enough for me to, like, I want to play this. So I don't know if that, maybe it didn't interest me, I don't know. But, um... I wanted I these Monster Hunter Stories 2 was, you know, being a, a bunch of trailers, a bunch of promotion, and I was sort of interested in it being more of like a turn-based RPG, monster collecting sort of game. I know it's supposed to be or seems to be some sort of Capcom answer to Pokemon in a way with the Monster Hunter monsters and flavor and style and whatnot. But I, I wanted to play the first game first before the sequel, just a kind I, I'm always interested in seeing how like a game evolves over time or a series evolves over time um not and so not just for story reasons but just like oh this is how the mechanic originally worked and this is how they tweaked it for the sequel and things like that i'm glad i did because it really is a direct sequel in terms of there's like five or six different characters that literally are just the same characters coming back again for the second game so um you don't absolutely need to know their like what they did in the first game but it's you know they're just coming back and they're the same person so why not right um so monster hunter stories 2 i like the game but i don't think it's great i just think it's good it's okay uh at least for my taste um it's a monster raising game so you're primarily catching monsters you're raising them you form a team of six just like pokemon um Especially when you get to the later parts of the game, things like elements become really crucial. So you have to pay attention to uh, your different monsters' 
uh, elemental attributes and things like that, at least if you want to make it easier for yourself. Um, one thing about the game that sort of doesn't sit with me too well is I think it gets kind of repetitive in terms of um, the gameplay, the broader, like, macro scale structure of the game. Actively go to an area, you find the local town, and the local town is basically like, we have these causing havoc or whatever. And there's usually a pit that needs to be in. There's a, a, an icy biome, there's like a garden, and flowery, foresty biome, monsters you catch, and things like that. But you kind of are really doing the same thing in each one. Um, so, game like an hour thirty-five is pretty much the same as it is an hour five. It so I feel like it's missing a sense of progression in a way that I like in RPGs. Um, the progression, I guess, is you can you can catch different monsters and experiment with them a bit. But once I sort of found like a squad of monsters I was happy with, I kind of just stuck with them. So maybe that's maybe that's on me where it kind of started to feel a little stale. Well, that's kind really. of actually like, um, that's kind of like my experience enough. with Pokemon games. Like once you've got mm -hmm. your roster, very rarely do I find like a, a Pokemon in the later half of the game. Like, oh, yeah, I want to sub one of mine out for this. Usually I'll just stick with the six that I got and just kind of clear through the rest of the game easy. Now, admittedly, one thing that Stories 2, and this is where playing the first game is sort of just good for insight. One thing that Stories 2 does that is a gigantic upgrade over the first game is that um, it does sort of the Trails Kaseki thing, where if an if you have a monster who's like they they they're born at level one, um, but you're, let's say your team is level forty, um, they'll gain like five hundred percent experience starting out, and all monsters gain the same amount of experience. So you can just kind of slot them in your party, and after a few battles, they'll be pretty close to your monster, like to the rest of your party in terms of level. The first game didn't do that, at least not to the same extent. So that's that's that does help if you do want to sub out a, cre a monster in doing that. However, part of monster raising is also this sort of gene um, modification where you literally like it's like their abilities and their stats. You can you can adjust these to your to how you like it. And if you have a monster that you've messed around a lot and gave them some good genes to work with, you kind of don't want to like. You know what? I don't want to use you anymore because you you put time and effort into that. So it's at the, I sort of found myself wanting to stick with the same team. So I kind of just found myself throughout the game just you know doing the same things. And I, it just felt a little bit stale to me. I know all RPGs kind of risk that sort of feeling um, where you might find a routine strategy that just, that just works and you stick with it. But I feel like it was a little bit pr more prevalent here than I would have liked. I still think the game is okay. Um, but that's probably like the one thing that I was the most disappointed in. Um, I do think the game looks really nice. It's got this cell shaded cartoony style to it um, that I think works pretty well. Uh, I also think, um, switching gears a little bit, I think Monster Hunter Stories 2 on PC is by some metric like the best performing JRPG in terms of like consecutive or uh, concurrent players and things like that. Uh, Capcom is, you know, they've kind of hit some, they, they've hit, they've hit the magic, I don't know, lightning in a bottle or whatever you want to call it in terms of people getting people interested in their games and buying them and checking them out with Monster Hunter Stories 2 doing pretty well. Monster Hunter Rise has sold like Marketing 5 million work. copies. Yeah, it's, it's sold 500 copies. Work. 
Uh, yeah. It, Seeing it the story trailer cut up Nexus, eight different though, ways. I know that's not a name, uh, though, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I now, ask you now I'm, I'm going to contradict myself. I'm going to contradict okay. myself. All right. You ready? So mm -hmm. despite me being kind of lukewarm on the game, I have uh, dived pretty deep into the post-game stuff. And this sort of, I think, gives me at least a, something of a clue of what like the Monster Hunter grind is like. I know this is a turn-based RPG monster raising game and not like a gear looting treadmill that Monster Hunter main games are, but it's similar in a way where you fight stronger monsters and they give you better gear and you equip the better gear and better weapons that raise your stats so that allow you to take on even stronger monsters to get even stronger gear to fight like the high rank version of the stronger monsters to get even better gear and you can raise your stats even more with upgrading your weapons. It's like so this is this is sort of Monster Hunter, right? Like, yeah, that's my take yeah. on it. It's close enough. And I know yeah, it's, I'm it's not an expert, be... but it rhymes. I have yeah, a, so... I have a very basic question for you, Adam. Uh, so this is like this is kind of like your foray into monster. Who's your favorite monster or monster? Uh, Bishaton. He's not in this that one. Yeah. Is no, he no. Nope. What? Nope. Because because Rise just came out. So obviously, when they were designing stories too, they didn't have uh, access to the. Yeah, right. Rise Newcomers filtered. Out of here. Yeah, what, was, what was sort of funny oh, well. is uh, when I was... Uh, I played a lot of the game with Rath with the Rathalos that is sort of like your Pikachu of the game, mm -hmm. like the, the cannon monster, but I did play a good chunk of it with Nergigante, and I also had like the Nergigante armor, which is like this like leather spiky, like stereotypical like biker uh -huh. girl. I'm playing as a female character type of stuff, and I'm like, that's literally what I was like in for like the final battle of the game so here i am like the hero and i'm like wearing this like like edgy edgy, just, edgy yeah. like spiky leathery stuff and i'm and i have like nergigante as my main monster like yeah i'm the hero <laughs> nergigante's oh. great i love him spiky boy. but yeah it was cool to, yeah cool to hear your thoughts on it uh so here's the final final question are you gonna play any other monster hunter games probably not you no all right okay, here's the final, final question I, I lied earlier do you think that this uh, has any chance of sneaking into the top 10 for our site? Um, it has a chance for the bottom five, I think. Maybe. Kind of I, I have to think about all the RPGs that have come out. Yeah. So, yeah. But the fact that you don't write it off immediately, so it's just, there's something there. You know, there's, there's, some, there's good stuff I think about there is, it. I think there's a bit of a thing, a bit here where it's just like not perfectly aligned with my tastes more than like being actually poorly designed. So, right. Very cool. A few uh, articles that we have up on the site that I wanted to at least platform here. Uh, this one will be pretty short. We did talk about on the previous couple podcasts about Josh's experience with Dodgeball Academia. Uh, I just wanted to point out that he did write up his thoughts into a formal review that's up on the site. So, Josh, I know you talked about it at length last week. I don't know if you had any other final thoughts or if we'll just uh, leave it as that. Uh, I think the thing that uh, caught me off guard was in the, in the comments section, I tweeted this review out on our Twitter. Uh, someone is asking, is like, is pizza on ketchup a thing? And I guess it's kind of like it's become like a me, uh, like a Brazilian meme about pizza on ketchup. I didn't actually pizza like, on pizza? yeah, yeah, I didn't actually like do any research on like if this was like a thing over there. But I guess it's like that's like a a wink to the Brazilian audience that like I'm putting ketchup on pizza because I didn't know that was actually a thing too until like I saw it in the game. So that's kind of it caught me off guard. Oh, that's like, kind of cool. Huh. For context, it's a Brazilian dev, right? Yeah, Brazilian indie dev pocket trap. Mm -hmm. So we have that written up on the site. And then another thing that we talked about last week with, or two weeks ago with Jess and 
James was the update to new Pokemon Snap, which both of them were pretty high on. And James ended up kind of writing up some of his thoughts in a feature. Uh, new Pokemon Snap's free update makes me long for the game we could have had, which is kind of like a one sentence summary of how he had brought it up on that podcast. So, uh, James, I don't know. Similar, similar question here. Did you have any other like uh, final thoughts on your your takeaways from the new Pokemon Snap update? Uh, no, I mean, the article kind of speaks for itself. And if not, I, I talked about it last week. I will say, though, that it was fun seeing all of those a uh, couple of comments basically shitting on it. But oh, well, uh, that, that's going to happen whenever you write anything that involves like an opinion. <laughs> like if, if no one disagrees with your opinion, then what sort of stance are you really taking? I don't know. I, 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 I stand with you, James, because the, 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 the comment I got right, Dodger, I was like, I don't know about your final uh, sentence. Your sentence says it should be like an 8.5. I'm like, how can you determine that? <laughs> that's so weird. <laughs> uh, that was a funny comment. Yeah, but for both of these articles, we had kind of spoken, like if you've listened to other episodes of this podcast, you'll kind of have already heard sort of what those articles cover, uh, but they're up in a written form now too on the site. So just letting people know that they're there um, just to kind of square them up and uh, put them away. At the top of this podcast, I talked about some of the few newsy things that had shown up this week. Kind of the biggest one was this, on the on the topic of Pokemon, how, how auspicious that we're already there. Um, we had the new Pokemon Presents for the upcoming titles for later this year and early next year. Pokemon Legends Arceus and Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. So let's start with Legends Arceus. I, when this game was announced, I asked you guys how you pronounce that. And I think that's what we ended up on. It's Arceus. Arceus. Softy, not Arceus. 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 <laughs> so we saw this game uh, a while ago, and people had kind of mixed thoughts on it. It had, um, and then we got the release date information in like May, and that's all they said was the release date was January twenty eighth of next year. So we finally got a another look at this with the Pokemon Presents, including a new pretty long trailer. And people are going to crucify me for this comparison, uh -oh. but I watched this trailer, and nothing else comes to mind. But it really feels like they're just taking everything about the Breath of the Wild, like energy of that release from a few years ago, and like very almost tactlessly, like shoving it into this trailer. Like the way the trailer progresses is similar. The the music even feels similar. Like I feel like maybe people say go outside and look at grass. Not everything that has grass is related to Breath of the Wild. But <laughs> right, Brian, get up on this cross. I'll try to crucify you. <laughs> but well, that's, I look. I, I watch this trailer, and then I immediately get like that's. It feels like that's exactly what they're that energy at least the the enthusiasm that that game had. It feels like they're trying to be like we want to we want a sliver of it. We want a piece of it. Uh, so that when I, mean, I watch the trailer, um, this is what I got. Go ahead, James. I might be misremembering, but I want to say that when uh, Game Freak was really first showing off Sword and Shield, they outright said that um, the wild area was kind of inspired by uh, Breath of the Wild. So am I, am I misremembering this? I want to say they said something along those lines, like maybe during E3 or something. But it, either way, it's very clear that this is very much Breath of the Wild inspired. And anyone that would crucify you for saying that, well, I guess I'll get up on the cross right next to you. Oh, thank you. Comrades at arms. Early solidarity. Uh, oh, so, okay, okay. Outside yeah, of the comparison, some... what, do we, what do we think about... So the, the trailer opens up by kind of uh, showing just like the environments and Pokemon running around. And then it kind of... The, the music picks up and it shows the uh, the two characters, the, the male and the female Pokemon trainers. 
Uh, and it shows little snippets of the combat. It shows some of the new Pokemon. It shows like a new like gliding flying mechanic. Uh, yeah, this is like in a, in a new region, right? The Hisui region. Well, well yes, and no. Well, not, not, yeah, it's not. It's not like it's not like a new region to Pokemon, but it's like a new like take on the region, I guess. Yeah, it's an older version of a different region, which I forget. Sinnoh, right? Sinnoh, yeah. Because before they just said ancient Sinnoh, and now they're saying it's Hisui region. Well, the, like, uh, tell us like about kind of the loop of the loop of this game. Like, what are like the big bullet points that they're that really distinguishes the this from like your other Pokemon games? Well, I know George looked at this and he thought it was pretty. Uh, like, I looked at this and I couldn't get, I couldn't peel myself away from how shameless it was. So I kind of want someone who was like really into what this. <laughs> All right, talk George, kinda, George like, or Jess. Uh, yeah, George or Jess. Uh, the the speak up. Uh. Yeah, I'm here. I've I've got it. Yeah. As soon as I saw this, I was like, this is what I've wanted Pokemon to be for a really long time. Um, and seeing this trailer, it like it kind of reinforces that. It just so combat's the same by the looks of it. Uh, I think they've mixed up a little bit and have like order like you can the the battle changes order depending on the move you use i don't know like i'm not like super in depth with it but the exploration is what interests me um and it just seems like it does kind of ape breath of the wild in some ways like there's just like this massive landscape you seem to be able to explore it however you want you seem to be able to like ride pokemon here and there um and i like that is literally like all i need i just i i don't really care for pokemon that much i don't find the combat like the turn-based combat that engaging like i know that that will get me up on the cross and with you yeah, guys i guess jess do you want to say anything that'll get you up on the cross too well one of the things i thought of was like people are saying it's like breath of the wild but i'm like is that a problem <laughs> i was like That's true. Yeah. I was all right like, well, another cross get another cross out yeah. here <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i thought um i've played like most pokemon games including all the spinoffs so I'm like, well, I don't think I, like, I want to see what happens. Like, I don't want to like show it like right before there's like, before I actually play it. Like it yeah. could be good. Who knows? Um, but, I'm kind of but, into the What are your first like, impressions? Is like positive or negative or like kind of like neutral right now? You just were waiting to see it play out. I thought it was interesting because I was like, oh, they never really done this kind of thing before. It's the first time really jumping back in time. And then also um, maybe digging more into mythology as well. Mm. Because um. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Alex actually wrote about this for VG247, where he was like, this could potentially be a good spin-off series if this is a good, um, if it ends up taking off. You know, like, digging into the different um, histories behind legendary Pokemon. Oh, here, here's my here, here's my my deep hidden hope that going off of your thought of, like, Alex's hope of this be it being a good spin-off series. So, eventually, I want to see a Pokemon Legends, but instead of going to the past, it goes into the far future... And it goes into a sci-fi direction where the Pokemon are mechs and it's open world and you can ride inside them. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay like uh-huh. Every single every single thing that you appended to that got me like you further just and further. Like, like not happening. Across you. <laughs> I, I will be bold. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we got. We we kind of fell off topic. We 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 are like a few minutes ago. We asked like, what do you do in this game? Let now, me just I'm, read. I'm to, you go for Okay, you go for George, go. I was just going to read the press release and say, like, here's what they say. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I'll be bold enough to say that I think every Pokemon game should be like this in the future. That is cross-bearing thing. Yeah, spicy. Yeah, get a second cross for George. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This this is so exciting. This is like like this is the evolution of Pokemon in my eyes. I don't know how like it still looks a bit janky, and sometimes I'm shocked that Pokemon's like the 
one of the like highest earning things in the world because all of the games kind of look crap. But I, I like the style enough, but it's just like it looks a bit like uh, you know? Like, does that make sense? I know I'm just making noises into a mic at this point. It does like, seem just like like there's a even just looking at the official screenshots, it 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 looks just kind of muddy a little bit. There's a lot of aliasing. It's just it's like I really like, I really to take the, this like these visuals for a solid performance because the first showing of this right. was very very rough That's and true. early. Yeah. So I'm I'm willing to take this like hit on visuals if it means it'll run at a consistent frame rate. But yeah, at the same I'm time, like... say... sorry, James, you go ahead. Yeah, because like it's st- like still the number one problem with Pokemon Sword and Shield for me is that whenever you try and play in the wild areas online, it's still unplayable. Unplayable. All the stutters, all the slowdowns, all the hitches and freezes. It's just not a good time. I am perfectly happy with Arceus Legends like being less of a like visually stunning experience as long as it has a smooth frame rate and it looks 10 times better from like how it was in the original trailer. Yeah, I I, I agree there, but if you can look at something like I hate to say Breath of the Wild now. Across <laughs> <laughs> from me, but you know, Breath of the Wild 8 like Arceus, and I know it's a different style and I I like the style they're trying to go for. But I still feel like just fidelity wise, it just doesn't reach it. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Like that, at the end of the day, that's not what this is about. Like it's about the game. Um, and like I say, combat seems sort of similar, but it's just how you enter all of these things. Like instead of like being like a rigid set path, so you go from route one to blah 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 blah. Like you guys know how Pokemon works. <laughs> Otherwise, I've just been made a fool of myself. Um, now you're doing it, but you're like engaging in it yourself. So you're finding the Pokemon you want to like capture and you're like recording their actions, stuff like that. There seems to be this element of like nature observation to it. So at one point in the trailer, they bring up like one of the Pokemon and the Pokedex is like, Oh, see this creature eat five times or blah, blah, blah. And he stopped saying blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. That's, you, so that's exactly verbatim what press release said, blah, blah, blah. All right, Adam, <laughs> we're this far into the legend discussion. How, how does this game, what are you, what do you do in this game? All right, so here's how the press release puts it. <laughs> Pokemon Legends Arceus takes trainers on an adventure through the Sinnoh region of the past, before it was even called Sinnoh. Many years ago, the land was called the Hisui region, and it was rare for humans and Pokemon to live in close harmony. As a member of the Galaxy Expedition team, players will visit Jubilife Village, a a bustling settlement that serves as a base of operations. After receiving an assignment or request, trainers will set out from the village to study one of the various areas of the Hisui region. After they finish their survey work, trainers will return to Jubilife Village to prepare for their next next task. Whenever trainers leave Jubilife Village to set out an excursion, their first stop will be one of the base camps that serve as an output for their work. These base camps are more than just starting points. Trainers can stop for a rest during an excursion, letting their team of Pokemon recover their health, or use a base camp's workbench to craft items. And that's it. I think that um, I think that's, my, what, that's my, what I said. <laughs> wait, go go on, Jess. Oh yeah, I mean, I did write a little bit about the gameplay that I learned from this trailer for a different site. Um, so what from what I understand, it's like a action RPG kind of like way where you maneuver around the Pokemon, you know, like your character can do dodge rolls and like sneak through grass and stuff too, um, to capture them or interact with them in different ways. But the actual battles, they are still turn-based. There was a yes. part in the trailer where you're like getting attacked by a bear, like, <laughs> Pokemon. Uh, or sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 
ancient, ancient, you know, there was no laws in ancient times, so anything went for Pokemon. Um, but I think the main concern I have with this game, after you know, I looked at it and kind of saw how it was gonna play, I just I hope that what they showed isn't just that's all there is to the gameplay loop, where it's just like kind of stages of like Pokemon that you like kind of think about how you capture them. Some of them are docile, some of them are hostile, where you have to go into battles with them, some you have to like chase down to kind of capture them. I just hope it's not like uh, this gameplay loop of like tier one, uh, these easy to catch Pokemon, and then you and then you come back and do all that, and then you go to the tier two Pokemon, and then you kind of do the same thing. They're a little bit tougher. And then you're done with that. Then you go to tier three, and then so on. I'm, I'm kind of concerned at the moment. Then of course, this can change because it's still a lot of time till it's January release of like the gameplay loop. Oh yeah, I think we were talking about that with Pokemon Snap. I kind of hope that it's not like that either. One thing that is interesting about this is that they did also show off two new evolutions and two new variants. So the variants, I think we kind of could have expected. There's a there's a new version of Growlithe. It's like a very like poofy version of Growlithe. Hisuian Growlithe. And also Hisuian Bravery, Braviary, which is the Pokemon that you kind of like paraglide off of. I wonder where they got that inspiration from. Um, but uh, they also, they, they, showed to, they showed off two new Pokemon. And one of them is like this white snowy reindeer. I'm like, that just looks like Stantler. And then I learned, oh, it's, a, uh, it's an evolution of Stantler. Um, I just thought that was interesting because like, if this is going to have like its own series of let's say it has 30 new pokemon or 20 new pokemon and 10 new variants it's like have we had a spin-off game that has been in that place where it's adding to the pokedex yes is that kind of yes hmm, go ahead um basically what am uh, i forgetting uh manaphy was first shown off in uh, pokemon ranger and uh bonsley and uh, munchlax were first, first shown off in pokemon xd yell of darkness Oh, okay. Uh, I take it back. I was actually, I was going to like say like, does this mean that maybe this is where like everything's going to like, these, this is going to be the main line going forward. And now it seems like I got to like pull my jets a bit where it's like, no, 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 they've done this before. But uh, it kind of, it kind of depends on like maybe how many they plan on introducing. If it ends up just being these few and a couple more, or if it ends up being like a mini new decks on its own. Well, uh, the other thing I'd say is, they're, they might be going more fast and loose with where they add new Pokemon or regional variants now that they've committed to not having the full Pokedex in any game going forward. Yeah, you're right about that. This is this is the least important thing, but then this kind of makes me wonder, like, did all the... So the, the evolution of Stantler is called Wordeer. It's like a reindeer. Um, did they all die out? Like, is that going to be... <laughs> why aren't there any Wordeers anymore? There's a new timeline, Pokemon Legends timeline. Oh, there, there's no. There's rules. also no. Pokemon. They also, um, yeah, they also introduced an evolution for Basculin called Basculegion, which you write on as well. Yeah, go ahead, James. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of interested in what the story for Arceus Legends is actually going to be because um, there have been occasions where Pokemon stories have been kind of fascinating with like the connotations of them. Uh, a lot of times the stories have kind of been washed over because the games themselves were disappointing. Like X and Y's story like has some really weird connotations, like the fact that the player character is immortal at the end of the game. But uh, <laughs> uh, I do not I know the context. I, 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 I retain nothing. Uh, 
Um, but one thing that fascinates me about Arceus Legends is that for whatever reason, they're part of like the Galaxy Expedition team or whatnot. Uh, that is uh, that when he when he read that, I thought that was weird phrasing. Like, Galaxy? Do yeah. they have a concept of a galaxy? Well, no, but the thing is, is that the evil team in Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum was Team Galactic. And the leader Mm. of the Galaxy Expedition team seems relate like a very, very distant ancestor or related to like Cyrus, the main antagonist of uh, Pokemon Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum. And one of the things in Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum, specifically Platinum, is that Team Galactic wants to gain control of the time and space Pokemon so they can make a new universe. So, and there's been some really, really weird stuff with alternate universes in Pokemon story before. Is it this maybe not necessarily a prequel, but actually a stealth sequel where it's literally like, no, no, this is actually an entirely new timeline based off of Cyrus winning. This is like, I feel like this is like way too up its own but for Pokemon or something like that. But uh, I would agree with you. But again, it is canon that the um, protagonist of X and Y literally ends the game being immortal. Look, you, you look, Brian, you need to play this game so you understand the rest of the Pokemon cinematic universe going forward. Well, okay, I, actually, I, I was actually going to kind of go on that. So like, okay, so the other game that we we're going to talk about briefly, even though I think people are less excited about it, is obviously the remaster, remake, whatever you want to call them for wait a Pokemon second, wait a Brilliant. Second. Dying. Go ahead. I, I still want to talk about the actual gameplay. I haven't given my thoughts on the gameplay. No, no, no. I, I have a, I have a, I have a place that I'm going to with this. So, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are retellings, reimaginings of those stories. And like, is it going to be where it's like, if you got to get the full picture, you got to play all of these because they all like tether together in some like multiverse thing. So, like, I don't know if they'll Let do anything. Let the kids enjoy Pokemon without having to be tied to. A- some weird series canonical theory crafting you I guys are crafting. I just Yeah. <laughs> All right, James. Talk, here's you know, Before I go on another tangent, talk about what you want to talk about. I feel like a lot of people have been saying that um, even if like Arceus Legends gameplay is just like catching Pokemon, they've been saying that, oh, that's boring. But no, I think what they showed off in the trailer really kind of argues the opposite. They even pointed out how different Pokemon will react to you differently. And like part of the fun will be figuring out how to even engage with a Pokemon before you can even battle it so you can start catching it. And I feel like a lot of people are glossing over that. And it's like one of the things that to me for like an open world Pokemon game was one of the things I really wanted to see where it's like not just finding the Pokemon, but it's like each Pokemon has their own unique behavior or groups of pokemon have their own unique behavior because honestly i i'll be honest i i don't expect every pokemon to truly have unique behavior in this game there will be like different classes of it and all that stuff but i think that's interesting i doubt it's just gonna be like catching pokemon because there is a story involved and there's probably gonna be stuff like that i'm really interested to see where this game goes i definitely think there's potential yeah like I'm imagining like a Gyarados that's deep in the bottom of an ocean or in the middle of a lake and you can't get to them unless you tear up some other aquatic Pokemon first and then you got to get them on your side until you have like maybe you're on this Basculine, Basculegion thing and then you 
swim out to where the Gyarados is, and there's your first attempt to get it, you know, or like there's a Pokemon that has a roost way high up, and you got to find oh, another, you have to, you know, you have to tear up your flying Pokemon to get, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm very much in, like, speculation mode, where it, I feel like they could, if they end up having, like, this really cool progression, like, I finally got the uh, Skarmory or something that lives at the top of some mountain, uh, because I was, I, de- I decided to get there on a, um, on a, Tijioto or whatever, but I, I feel like if that's the sort of how the progression feels, I, I think there's something there that's different enough from the main games to feel like a, new, a truly unique experience. But of course, that's we'll have to kind of see if that's where it ends up, or if, some, or if it ends up somewhere a little bit more simple than that. Yeah. Now, can we can we talk about uh, the Shining and Pearl remakes now? Or remakes? Now we talk about the, we, need, you know, we need to talk about how Pokemon Unite uh, fits into the canon now. How it's altered universe <laughs> too. Yes. Who's the best EV? The best EV is Vaporeon. Um, Umbreon? Jo- Jolteon? Uh-huh. Espeon? <laughs> We're all in agreement. Okay. I, 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 feel <laughs> like, I feel like I'm the only one that actually likes Leafeon. No, I like Leafeon. I brought that up because, I brought that up because they added Sylveon to Unite. And some people oh. are like, Sylveon's great. And some people are like, Sylveon sucks. Oh, okay. So Sylveon is great. I've never, I've, I've never played that game, but he's great. So, do we have any similar level of excitement for Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl? I think because obviously the nature of this game is a remaster. Um, I say I keep saying remaster, but it is it's, kind of built from the ground up. So it, it's it's, ground it's a remake, but it's a remake with like a limited scope. Like it, sometimes remake has this connotation where it's going to be wider and bigger and taller and faster than what it was, and now it's kind of just like. It's the same game packaged differently, it feels like. Anyways, so the details here were a little bit more... Obviously, Arceus has a brand new experience. They could go into like what the game looks like, how it plays, and we could speculate about how it progresses and you know story considerations, I guess, now are on the table or, more, or things like that. Where here, it's just kind of like, do you remember the underground from the Sinnoh region? Well, that's back, only now it's expanded. Uh, also, because we've added character customization in later games, like your outfit... Now you can do that in the Sinnoh region. Like, it seems like it's just a lot more targeted where you have to say, like, remember this in Sinnoh region? Well, now it's slightly different or better. It's just there's less to latch on to here, I feel like. There's nothing here that says, like, I want to re-experience this. At least that's my takeaway. I, I don't hate know if anyone else is more excited about this. I hate being reminded of the the game's uh, box art. That, like, when they showed, like, the that, like they reminded <laughs> us of the box art again at the end. of like, <laughs> oh, man. Lego toys screaming box. into the air. <laughs> Yeah. The box, the box art looks like the Pokemon card game render stuff. It looks really weird. I'm of two minds about the art style. On one hand, I completely understand and even sympathize with a bunch of people that have been saying, oh, they're disappointed about it. Because you have to understand that every other Pokemon remake that's come out has brought the, the visuals of the game and the scope of the game up with the current generation, like Fire Red and Leaf Green looked better than Ruby and Sapphire and added in an, a ton of additional content. Art Gold and Soul Silver added in parts of the Platinum content and also brought the game visually up to standard with Pokemon Platinum. Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, people had some issues with it, but like it still looked better than X and Y and had its own like additional scope and even had the whole like Latios, uh, Latios thing where you could like fly it around the region, like which was really cool. So a lot of people were expecting for a Diamond and Pearl remake to be more along the lines of Pokemon Sword and Shield, where it's like full 3D. It's not like an isometric view. It's 
got stuff like wild areas, or at least it's more akin to something like the previous remakes where it's bringing the game up to speed with the current generation. Whereas there's nothing specifically in brilliant diamond and shining pearl that doesn't look like it couldn't have been a generation seven game instead of a generation eight game, like Pokemon terms. It's isometric. It's a very, what's the best way of putting it? It's a very responsible, it's a very uh, respectful remake in the sense that it doesn't deviate much from the original concept in both good nail. I so think basically what I said is like, if you've already experienced this game, then because of the, what you're saying about what it looks like, it's scope is of course it doesn't feel like it's, there's a reason to revisit it or it's like, eh, it's just the same thing in a different coat of paint. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I also completely, understand the people that have been upset about that because if you're a big diamond and pearl fan if you grew up on generation four like me and you wanted to see a big exciting remake for the games like you might have remembered from heart gold and soul silver or even omega ruby and alpha sapphire this feels like a step back and the expectation was in one place but what they're delivering is completely different and in a lot of ways looks like less budget than like let's go pikachu and eevee on the other hand though i think i completely understand why they went for this and i think from if we're looking at the nature of just the content in the game i think it's going to be great even if they don't add in the platinum content which i think most people have given up hope on these remakes incorporating the third uh third uh, version content ever again after omega ruby alpha sapphire it's unfortunate but I think it makes a lot more sense when you consider the fact that this is the first mainline game that's being outsourced. And because of that, I think they wanted the remakes to be a more pared back experience specifically so they can get those uh, developers kind of up to speed, giving them a that actually is softball. a good point that I forgot yeah. to bring up. Yeah, like a more softball project so that they can get up to speed with Pokemon, get used to the tools, and then once Free continues working on whatever they want to work on, whether it's even mainline Pokemon or if they're going to continue with more spinoffs with like Arceus Legends. Suddenly, you have a team that's like written their teeth on a project now, and then they can kind of get alongside Game Freak, which is something that people have been asking for for a long time. Give a developer that's not just Game Freak reins to the to the series and. When you consider that, it makes a lot of sense why the remake would be paired back. And it hurts, but I think in the long run, it's probably for the best that they were given this softball project so they, they could ramp up and give the um, be given the opportunity to really grow into the role. That no, that actually sense. is like a really comprehensive look about what their long-term plans might be. Maybe we end up in a place where they end up doing like the Call of Duty thing. I can't believe I'm bringing up Call of Duty twice in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> where they like leapfrog development, where they end up giving these because one of uh, right at Sword and Shield was kind of like at this inflection point where people were expecting finally a console Pokemon game that you know that wasn't a spin off, like a mainline game for the Switch, and people were disappointed in it. And a lot of people pointed to the fact, well, it only had a year of development time, or not a year, but it had the same amount of development time as everything else for this basically annual series. And now maybe if they've got another set of hands on board to handle like. The expect like whatever the gen 5 revisit is going to look like 
they can have this team work on that while they work on RCS2 or Legends, some other legendary Pokemon. So maybe maybe this does actually have some like far-reaching consequences in a good way. So where they're actually planning out uh, developments getting harder and longer, and we don't know like if we can manage an annual series. We already kind of saw that they skipped and they only did DLC for the most recent stuff for the Sword and Shield. Uh, so oh, is that really maybe there skipping? is a plan there. Is that really skipping if the scope is basically the same as like a third entry? Is that is that is that what your take on the DLC was? Is that it felt substantial enough to say that? Well, yeah, because that, I mean, I'd say that the Sword and Shield expansion pass added more to the game than a traditional third entry usually would. So, oh, okay, I take it back. They they haven't taken a year off since what 1998 <laughs> or whatever. Uh, maybe they need to, or maybe having this new uh, I- ILCA, I forget what that stands for, but having them on on board working on the Pokemon series is, might be helpful in the long run, and this is just kind of uh, getting getting them out the gate, getting their start. Now, you just this is just a dumb like off-topic thing, but in terms of the Call of Duty developers, they don't really even swap teams anymore. They, the different teams work on different parts of Call of Duty now. Yeah, that's true. They were in the like paradigm Vanguard. Before. Vanguard is made by Sledgehammer Games, and then the zombie mode is Treyarch, and then Infinity War does the Warzone content, which will have new Vanguard Warzone content. So it's just kind of like they all work on all of it, like at the same time now. Well, let's Yay. let's hope that let's hope that Game Freak and ILCA and all that avoid that for for a few different reasons. Any other final thoughts on what we saw for the two upcoming Pokemon games? Yeah, I'm not really gonna. I'm not interested in. The remakes, really. I am interested in RCS, though. Mm, sounds like we're kind of in a, a bit of a consensus there. Speaking of revisiting... Thank you, Josh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, okay. there's, a, there's a great harddrive.net, which is a satire site headline, that says, like, the Elder Scrolls Skyrim was released on this day nine years ago, seven years ago, five years ago, three years ago, and once more this year, because Skyrim anniversary edition is being released on november 11th on the 10th anniversary of the elder scrolls 5 skyrim so they've done it again when we thought there was no other ways after the alexa release and didn't they have some other weird weird ass releases for skyrim we had a, a switch version a vr version they're they're doing it again skyrim is getting like its 11th or 12th version where's it coming out it's, on it's coming out on uh so this is adam who actually covered this news for us had to do a bit of digging because it's not a next-gen version of the game. It is a PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC version that will, and, and then just use the standard cross-gen compatibility of both platforms to be on PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series. That's so, crazy. I didn't know that. <laughs> there's mixed. There's mixed messaging here. Like for example, so okay, they announced Skyrim Anniversary Edition on the PlayStation blog post. They say it's coming out, so they're not going to mention any other platform, of course. They say it's coming out for PlayStation 4 with backwards compatibility on PlayStation 5. Like, that's how they put it from uh, Bethesda. Like, oh, so it's a PlayStation 4 game. Okay. But, like, if you go to their website, they just say it's coming out for PS5, PS4, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. And like, oh, it's coming out for all of them? Like, is it native? Is it just a backwards compatibility thing? You know, it depends on where you look. That is, that is um, you, bring, you bring up a really irritating point because, like, game publishers are getting more and more, like, not being transparent about whether their upcoming game is being natively released on the on these new platforms or not like they just kind of they, they they just kind of put them on the list of platforms with no indication whether they're actually native to it because these platforms just run those games anyway whether they're native or not 
Yeah, they just slap on the PS5 logo because if it's a PS4 game, it'll work on a PS5. So, um, anyways, uh, so what this is, what this anniversary edition is, it's the same as the special edition. So everything that came with the special edition, you know, years ago, with all the expansions and all that, plus it has a survival mode, which is apparently like a mod, but now official, and fishing. So like those are included for free in the anniversary edition. So now there's free fishing. Oh, okay, it might be getting yeah. here again. Um, so like you can uh, th- those you can get like included, but. If you it, the upgrade itself to the anniversary edition is actually a paid upgrade, like if you already if you already own special edition, it's a paid upgrade um, to get the anniversary edition, and it's everything that the special edition has except it has like five hundred pieces of content from like the creator content. I forget what they call it. Creation exactly. Club. Creation Club, and so it's like it's like a mod bundle edition. Like that's what it is. Is it going to be like a separate entry? Like if you put it on, if you get it on Steam, is it going to be like a separate entry from Skyrim already? It's going to be the Skyrim Anniversary Edition as a separate entry. Then I guess weird. it's not clear at all. It seems okay. like it, and it's just weird. So like I haven't followed up because they've been trying as these games have been more popular on console. They've been trying to make the modding tools more, you know, con- conducive and easy, and maybe like have a lower barrier of entry. So I think that's kind of what this Creation Club was, where some of the stuff on the Creation Club, as far as I understand, is actually made by Bethesda and then like their partners. So I don't know if that's literally like they just get someone to sign and say, how we can now use your mod or or whatever. Uh, But the fact that this is basically Skyrim Special Edition Mod Pack Edition, plus all the official DLCs like Dragonborn or whatever the other ones were called, Dragonborn, Dawnguard, Hearthfire. it's just weird to me because that tells me like if this is and the fishing is like it was originally a mod the survival version edition was originally a mod uh creation club content and it also has like new quests new areas and all the stuff that you would normally expect but when i see that i'm almost kind of like put off a bit because that tells me that this is just whenever i play like these sorts of games i usually tend to avoid the content type mods because like the quests or the writing or adding new story or new characters because there's such an uneven level of quality. Whenever you have fans making stuff, I find that it ends up being like a lot of frosting and a little cake. And I think I've used that that comparison before where it might just feel like really uneven or you end up getting a mod. Like, wouldn't it be cool if you fought two dragons at the top of a <laughs> volcano or something? Oh, yeah. And they just like, they, they just like, I feel like, is it going to feel like a really weird half where you have like the base story, you have the original quest that kind of were filtered through, but then you have like this weird added stuff peppered in where people are trying to like one up each other and like have different levels of skill in their writing or different levels of interesting ideas where is it going to just feel like this really uneven experience or do they like curate it in some way where you can't tell it just almost feels like i don't know if i'm interested in a game where they just say now you've got 200 new quests made by different peoples of different talents just jammed in there and it's going to be really weird and that's to me for some reason just puts me off Brian, you, you need to call it out. It just works, okay? <laughs> but I and the one thing that I also know is going to happen is like people are going to like start selling their own. Like I spent eighteen hundred hours modding this game, and this is what I would have done. I can already feel I, like I actually that do know people who have uh, bought Skyrim or Special Edition, spend like a weekend preparing mods for it, like 
all these like post-processing content tweaks and everything to the game and then they like play it for a day like actually i'm good <laughs> it's like oh yeah. which is which is fine if that's what if that's what you enjoy about it that's fine but then i wonder like those people aren't going to be paying the anniversary edition because they'd rather have the customization of tinkering on their own rather than just getting like this deck that bethesda decided is what people want like you want fishing right and you want these 500 that we've picked for you and i do wonder like are people going to take this anniversary edition and then mod on top of that I bet it's already kind of soupy where you've got like the original mods and the special edition mods, and now you're going to have anniversary edition mods or whatever. Um, so yeah, I wonder just what the landscape, like how it's going to all shimmy out. Will, will, will people like take to this or will people ignore it? I wonder how well it's going to do. Chances are it's going to do some. Have they commented about like any mod support on the console versions of the anniversary edition at all? No. Hmm. Not as far as I know. Hmm. Yeah, it's something that they've kind of been like. They they voiced their support for it in general, but I don't know if they specifically talk about this anniversary edition. Well, uh, so, someone pointed out on Twitter that with this anniversary edition, it has now surpassed Resident Evil Four as the most re-released game ever. By why? Yeah. That Resident Evil Four will catch up in like a month. Like, quick fridge edition. Well, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. What? I don't think. It's the most re-released game ever because Jaw Muncher was literally just comparing it to RE4. Doom has definitely been ported more places than Skyrim. Oh, okay, okay. But, but to know that the RE4 and Skyrim are the same tier, pretty good. I don't know, like if you haven't played Skyrim before, I actually I know people like meme on it for being like really kind of pared back and uh, simple, and I do think it's actually got some really good ideas in it. So I, if you haven't played it before, I guess why not wait for this. But even then, I still wonder, like, it all depends on like, what they add. Like, it depends on, like, the quality of this Creation Club stuff or how easily you can ignore it if you don't like it. It's just so hard to gauge, like, what it's going to feel like with all that stuff packed in. Uh, they say uh, 500 pieces of unique content from Creation Club, including pre-existing and new quests, dungeons, bosses, weapons, spells, and more. Will that feel natural or will it feel like this weird Frankenstein's monster thing? We don't know until we know. So I don't know why I'm, like, hung up on that, but at this occasion, man. Yeah, when I want to mod a game like this, I want to have like a say in it, where this is just kind of like we just decided for you. It's just kind of weird to me. I just can't imagine wanting to play Skyrim again. Like, I, I just I don't get it. Are we sure that this is these are really final thoughts, or if it's just another, just another, just another release until five years from now when you see it again <laughs> somewhere? Kiss five real edition. Oh, I know. Adia, Amazon, Luna. Really? There's still, there's still other platforms. Plus, Skyrim can come. I actually wouldn't be surprised if they um did like a native version, Elder Scrolls Five Skyrim Anniversary Edition native for next gen, next gen Anniversary Edition, like <laughs> instead of a backwards <laughs> compat. It makes you so <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised. Definitively, uh, definitive for real this time edition. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm interested. I'm more interested to see how this game does in terms of A, just sales, and B, like how people latch onto it in terms of tinkering with it, like they have with the other two versions, two versions, two main I versions know. of the game. But Elder Scrolls Community is hungry right now. If they're, if they're not playing the MMO, they have to wait an eternity till six. So maybe, yeah. maybe this is what they want. One thing that they don't really focus a lot on visuals or performance, it's it's they focus on content, quests, bosses, dungeons, things like that. Where I wonder if like if you load this game up 
and then you load special edition up and put them side by side without tinkering anything else is there a visual difference or no like they don't unless i missed it i don't think they really focused on like we no. adjusted the lighting or we adjusted the post-processing or we added ambient inclusion they didn't really focus on that it's all well we'll have you covered within the first week of that yeah not that it really matters because even if they did people would just have their own like custom lighting mods that they already love that they'd probably just use instead but maybe that's why it, they avoided it just they you imagine like this, this game will be a nightmare to tinker for because like if you just want like the basic spirits you load it up and then it, you just have this option of, like how do you want your lighting and there's like 40 different options for your lighting <laughs> man it i'm just thinking that if this is if this still has mod support which i think it will because why wouldn't it and they update the API, at least on the Xbox version, to DX12 Ultimate. Like, even if there's not ray tracing in Skyrim now, if they use that API, people will figure out a way to make it have a ray traced uh, lighting mode. It's kind of weird because you'll, you'll, you'll end up with kind of like these tiers. Like, this is the best you can make Skyrim Old Room Edition look. This is the best you can make special edition look, but it, with anniversary edition, you can add this to it, right, Tracy, or whatever. So you're gonna end up with, like with like I bet it's weird to like go back in history and like catalog all the YouTube videos where they're like, I slathered three thousand mods on it, and this is what I got. And then every year that has to be changed because of an edition like this or because of a new modding technique or whatever. I bet I bet that's kind of a hard rat race to kind of keep up with. And now you've got a new like a new leg of the race. To, to deal with with the anniversary edition i'm eager to follow this not to play it but to follow this see just what happens to it here's kind of a bit of a blast from the past something that we last looked at in february i think this is the game from game science chinese uh, indie studio black myth wukong it was demoed earlier and where they it was i think it was revealed late last year and then it had another little bit bit of a look in earlier this year basically highlighting a very journey to the west dark souls sekiro-esque title that had really strong visuals and really like high level of polish for a game that doesn't look like it's going to come out until like 2023 basically just kind of a surprise out of nowhere big um, not big budget because it's an indie studio but with that sort of appeal for uh, a souls type game and we have another 12 minutes to look at kind of out of the blue this week where they announced that black myth wukong will shift over to development on unreal engine 5 and with that announcement they did basically like an engine some people called it a trailer but i think some people went back to correct that it's more like a, a an engine showcase where we got like 12 minutes of footage of black myth wukong on unreal engine 5 so I know a lot of people have been sharing this around thinking that it looks really stellar. Some people have said it looks better than anything that's released so far. I think it looks good, but not like a notch above anything else we've seen. Anyone have any like initial takes about what they saw on the uh, gameplay from Black Myth Wukong? I wouldn't have anything to say about the gameplay, but it's got the lore really accurate how uh, Wukong could do all the transformation and all that stuff, which a lot of people seem to overlook. Yeah, I, I, think, that's the, I think that's the most exciting thing about the game is like they're barely... They're really being uh, like accurate to the mythology, the source mythology of the game, because a lot of like Journey of the West video games, like they just kind of take inspiration for the core story, but not really ever tackle it. It's like it's kind of they look to it, but then they go their own way with it. While this one, okay. Is, so I know in terms of the mythology, um, so IGN seems to have been briefed on the game. They actually like leaked it early, like they posted twelve hours early accidentally, and then they had to retract it and then post it on time so it seems like they had information ahead of time and i know in their breakdown they actually do say that the main character here is not wukong 
that it's actually just another oh. monkey like following Wukong's footsteps. So like similar, mm. but it's not him. Like that's just what IGN says. And, you know, I, I give them some trust that they were briefed on this. So like if if they didn't tell me that, I'd be like, that's definitely Wukong. Who else would it yeah, be? That's like, the, yeah, right? the uh, that's what they said. That, like, so oh, it's like, yeah. I was mentioning, that's what they said. Oh, so interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's it's graphically impressive. Uh, it's, it's cool that they're uh, moving to Unreal uh, Engine 5 and saying what they can... Obviously, this is still early days of like, who knows what the final product will look like. I think you know, there's it's kind of rough around the edges when it comes to like hit impact and whatnot. But it's it's that's not the point. It's like prototype uh, footage that's not indicative of the final game and whatnot. It's it'll be cool to see, but from at the moment, it's hard for me to like keep a, like hold excitement for this game because it's so far off. It's still yeah, I mean, you know, it's like no pun intended, but it feels still feels like a myth to me in this uh, stage of hey. development. Just keep you know. your expectation in check, and you won't be disappointed. I mean, yeah, I mean, like it's 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 promising. It's really cool to see that like this small development team really like being very ambitious with this game, and I, I'm rooting for them. And they um they they did show like a few things that they feel very tech demo y where it's like, gee whiz, look what we can do. Where they do like uh he's spinning his staff like while a bunch of leaves are floating towards him and they kind of like swirl around the staff and like their right. their trajectory is altered by the movement of the of the weapon stuff like that where it's like yeah yeah i don't know if you needed to information and everything like that showcasing i was really impressed with the snow effects is, like, is mm-hmm. that is there any game like that you well, can I get think a lot of the like a lot of the sony first and, party stuff has done that yeah, yeah. A frozen wild expansion like kind of not not to this level but you know a lot of games have messed with it like the, the recent tomb raider games have uh, messed with snow. yep yeah and then th- there's still no release date on this i think uh ign said 2023 but it feels like it's yeah. just kind of like they're not they're not ready to announce so we don't have an, uh, a window announced it looks promising it's uh it's kind of cool to see someone in this space, like so, uh, from kind of bringing a perspective that we don't have uh, from the uh, with a real look in this uh, Chinese like mythos of the Journey to the West. And James Science is a Chinese developer, right? Yeah. Okay. When back when that was announced last August, there was a few. Uh, how do I say this? There there had been some comments from the CEO that people had pointed out as being like really sexist and really crude, and so. Some people might be interested in that. There, I I haven't seen anyone report on it recently this year with this new announcement, but I just do know that some people have said that this indie studio has not. It, it's kind of burned some bridges with like prospective devs that they interviewed but didn't hire or refused to hire. Um, oh, so I had no idea about this. Yeah, so I don't know any details than that. I've not looked into this myself, but I did see some articles from August 2020 that brought that up. So just things to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when it's like a a Chinese dev or a foreign dev to us, it's not, like we don't always get insight to like their workplace cultures. But yeah, I, I did see some reports that this Chinese indie studio has apparently got a bit of a boys' club mentality. You know, allegedly. Mm. Yeah, and, <laughs> and we, we only get their English-facing yeah. marketing, so we kind of get like right. a sanitized version. So you really have to dig to to see more of that. So uh, it's there to dig into if if you're inclined. But figure that you know we should should bring that up. Yeah, I, I I saw that like pop up when this new trailer came up, and like you said, this was actually like we commented on last year, and I didn't have any idea. So you know, bringing awareness of that there have been some criticisms of this dev of this the CEO and this dev team, and how they some of the comments they've made. Ciao. Here's something for you. 
We've got a uh, release date. Oh, and Jess. Oh, yeah, and Jess. I forgot that Jess was uh, big into Genshin Impact. Ciao, and Jess. Uh, we've got a release date for version 2.1. It is coming out on September 1st, and this is adding a few of the... Uh, I know Chow talked previously about how not all of the Inazuma yeah. region was available at first, but they're adding to it. They're adding three new characters and Aloy and fishing. So this is another game that's adding fishing in an update. So uh, we'll start with Chow and then we'll go to Jess. So Chow, what are we looking forward to in 2.1? I'm more interested in the fishing, to be honest with you. I oh, think yeah. so. RPG without <laughs> fishing is just not quite the same, no matter how tedious or how good it is. It needs fishing. All games needs fishing. All right, so tell me either you or, or Jess. Tell me how fishing is going to work in Genshin. What, what what are they doing to fishing here? Actually, I have no idea how it works. I just saw so it. You're just oh, no. <laughs> excited yeah. for okay, it. Okay. Uh, principle. <laughs> okay. Um. Okay. I did see. I watched the live stream, so I could tell you a little bit about it. So okay, hit me. Um, it's a little like the way it looked like. It's like um, I think there's maybe kind of Harvest Moonish kind of thing where it looks like um. You know, mm -hmm. like kind of arch where you're going to throw the line. So okay. as you're casting the line, there's a little bit of a arch to tell you like about where the bait so is more, going to land. Like a, yeah, it's not exactly. It's more like a, a, a educated guess. Yeah, I guess it's like I mean, it's a little bit more concrete. I would think like if it's an accurate where the line will go. But okay. yeah, it's kind of like um, cast the line based on this arch going into the water. Um, and then you can pick different sorts of bait, and you will be able to catch different sorts of fish. Apparently, you'll be able to also cook them. Although I'm not like I'm kind of wondering if that means the recipes will expand. Like there'll be different kinds of recipes that you can cook with these fish. Because right now there's only one kind, and um, yeah, I mean, every time you pick up a fish, it always says this one type, right? So maybe yeah, there's seven. Types, maybe is there like a sort of leveling to it like the 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 more you fish like your uh, fishing level goes up is there anything like that mm, i didn't quite see i wouldn't be surprised if there was though um i think this is also a big deal because honestly i'm not a big fan of how you get fish right now because right now you need to basically jump in the water and swim fish. after them mm -hmm. apparently you can um, also raise fish like as a pet oh yeah yeah in what? your um in your teapot homes <laughs> So you can what? Like, like, you this, is what, this is what the press release says. Fishing can will be introduced with version 2.1. Players can go so soon go for angling a variety of fishes across the continent of Teyvat. They can be used to produce fish meat or exchange for rewards and new fishing rods from the Fishing Association. With the Pool of ah, Sapphire Grace, a new furnishing added to the Serenity Pot system, players can now raise ornamental fish in their personal realm. What? That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, the end game for Final Fantasy XIV is fishing. So <laughs> there is fishing in here. Fishing I, ultimate. I wouldn't oh, say yeah. that fishing is the end game in fourteen. That is definitely house uh, decor. Honestly, I'm kind of interested in how um, this will add to the Genshin economy, basically, because people are always trying to exchange these materials for, like, I don't know, to for ascension items and things like that. Like, typically, people get excited for whatever items the events are giving us so maybe if there's um i don't know if you'll be able to exchange them for helpful items that will help with your team or something like that i'd be really funny if like the like the the the, the like the long-term farm in genshin is just farm uh, is just fishing because there's like maybe it's like some sort of fishing shop that refreshes every month or something for example it'd be funny if that was like part of the progression line it's like yep 
fish, motherfucker. Camp at the spot and wait for two days. <laughs> I'm also wondering if there'll be like these crazy rare fish, like an Animal Crossing, where you suddenly just pull out like a like five foot long fish. Oh shit, you're right. Always a possibility. But what else is coming? They they introduced some new characters. What what can we look forward to? Well, apparently it's supposed to finish the story arc. So I thought maybe they're just putting all the islands now. So, like, I'm not sure it's too quick. I thought they would, like, drip feed it a little bit more, but I I don't know. Who are the new characters? Uh, There's Kokomi. Uh, There is... How how do you say her name? Ye? And um, who else was there? Um, I believe, like, a... There's the there's a, there's a person the named Raiden, Raiden Shogun? Shogun. Yeah, yeah, the Raiden Shogun. There's um, Kujo Sarah, if I remember. Yeah, that's her right hand woman, basically. And they're both Electro users, so um, I did hear something about Electro, like a uh, getting a buff, like last update. But I'm not really sure how that. I haven't really played that much with my Electro character, so I haven't really noticed a difference if they did end up doing that. It ma- did make me wonder during the live stream if after. Like, in preparation for these new Electro characters that are supposed to be strong, if they did that on purpose. Um, no, I don't right think now... they buffed the element yet. They just tweaked some of the damage numbers, but the element hasn't been buffed. Okay, so they didn't better. really do it yet. Like, I'm not sure if they're going to wait for the Archon to show up before they do the actual buffing, because people would be disappointed if their new, you know, the new Archon is not over-the-top overpowered, considering how much they've been hyping her up, right? Oh yeah, people are still mad about Yoimiya. Like, apparently that's still a thing on Reddit where people are like, her kit is a mess, and people are like sending tons of um, complaints to Mihoyo about it. Well, I work for Song Lee, so it doesn't hurt to try again, right? Outrage always does something sometimes. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I am Okay, so I'm interested because uh, Aloy from uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is coming on September 1st to Genshin. Um, I forgot, did... Did Horizon get like a Japanese voiceover when it re- initially released on the PS4? Yeah, it did. Okay, yeah, because I was, I was looking at like, I wonder who's a Japanese voice for uh, Aloy. It's uh, Ayahi uh, Takagaki, and she's a very big. This is just kind of a really. random thing, but I remember yeah. when I was playing Horizon Zero Dawn. I played it shortly after launch, like three months after launch. I was actually looking up something and I couldn't find it, and I found like a Japanese YouTube video who was playing through it. Nice. And the Japanese voices and everything. So I'm yeah, they had it. Nice. nice. I know her from Gundam Double. That's about it. <laughs> she, she, yeah, she's she's famous for her roles in Gundam. She's very famous in Simple Gear, um, and yeah, that's that's by her most well known role at the moment is the Simple Gear series. But yeah, they continue to f- have really big voice actresses uh, on here. I'm like looking through it. Like Ma- Raiden is voiced by Miyuki Sawashiro. Um, Kokomi is voiced by uh, Suzuko Mimori. Like, oh yeah, she's. Crazy. Oh, sorry. Yeah. There's there's a lot more, honestly. Too. I don't know. There's yeah. there's like Scaramouche cameo, and he's like a big character. People have been waiting to come back for a while. Like he outtrended the top the three characters that were announced for the banners just Is yesterday. It, was he the like the mysterious? Uh, like I, I looked at the trailer, but like was he the mysterious one in the hat wearing? The yes. Hat? Yes. Okay. So th- tell me, like I'm obviously not going to spoil, but like the why, why is he so popular? He is Honestly. evil Lloyd Bannings because he got the same Japanese VA. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I know everything. Yeah, Chow would know better because I missed, I, unfortunately, I did miss the event that he was introduced, so I didn't get to interact with him. He, you actually don't interact with him. He was a sly merchant, or he was disguised as a merchant. And 
uh, Mona actually saves you from that moment before it could do anything dangerous. And people kind of hype him just because of his Japanese VA. That's what I feel. But I don't think he has uh, much of a screen time presence to be relevant. That's in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I don't personally get it, but you know, Genshin Twitter is just like, oh my god, this guy. Like, this I don't know. I for like two evil. minutes. It's like, uh, <laughs> was it the current villain's uh, Signoria, whatever? Like she Signoria. is super popular, but what does what her character did in the storyline? She just steps on like she just gives you the step on me vibe, and people apparently like that, so she's super popular, but she doesn't do <laughs> so anything. I never wanted one to thing, hear you say that ever. <laughs> one thing that's kind of funny, um, Skaramouche is like in I think he's originally actually I actually looked this up, I forgot the country, but he, he's an Italian like comic clown character, like is what he is, like in theater arts. Is who Scaramouche is. So it's kind of funny to hear him be like this badass dude in Kenshin. So yeah, I was trying to assassinate you in a storyline. He's like, he's, he's like a got foiled like in two minutes. So, so and we never see him again. So okay. And then there's actually um, there's also people on Twitter were kind of going crazy about this because they thought that the, a certain character might die. There was like a hit that there's a possibility of a character. Dying because Mihoyo has killed off playable characters in the past. Did that is that still just speculation at this point? We don't know if it's, it's true. still speculation. Although it's kind of like, hmm. I mean, it's possible, though. I wouldn't know for sure. There's like certain parts about this um, character's uh, backstory that make it seem like it's thematically possible the way they presented it in the trailer too. So that's one of the other things. And then I think the other big thing is Mihoyo's. Uh, well, the Genshin Impact anniversary coming up. Oh my god, it's already anniversary time for that game? Jesus. Yeah, apparently. I checked my account. It says I logged in 323 days. So. Oh my god. <laughs> have you missed a day? Uh, I have. Oh. I'm Uh-oh. disappointed. It's not FGO where I don't have to worry about logging bonus for missing a day. Have you missed a day, Jess? Oh, yeah, plenty. Like, I come back to it every now and then. Like I, like, I was actually on a break from it for a bit, but now I'm back. I do like how Jess is like, don't forget that there's, it's also bringing this and that. Like, she's making sure that we cover all the bases for what's coming in 2.1. I like it. Are you guys excited for 2.1? Yeah, it looks like a beefy update, actually. It's not like the filler content that they used to do back then. I'm just worried more about what comes after 2.1. Are we going to stuck with, like, five versions of, like, filler before we finally get some updates again? Uh, well, I remember when you were talking about like the updates were like a weird hide and seek game. It's like this is what you get, enjoy it. And now it's like actually seems like it's really meaty story pushing stuff. Oh yeah, yep. that's a really big update with the, um adding Inazuma. You have fishing to tie you over now, dude. You you you, you don't have oh, to. Oh yeah, like, that too. <laughs> so so like fishing. yeah, you don't need any other content now. Who cares about filler content? But yeah, fishing. Waiting for two point two or three point or whatever. You just you know, are you done fishing yet? Have you got the best rod? Or it depends um, on how also... grindy they make it. I'm also waiting for more hangout events. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. What are hangout events? It's like this um, dating sim. Dates. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's not that big a deal, but I'd like to. Um, the Alex story quests and dating guys. events. Yeah, Sorry. they give you a little more of insight into the characters and stuff. But yeah, we do have guides on the hangout events. I'm not sure if we have the most recent ones with Noel too and Diona, though. Yeah, Alex went back to the game just to write some hangout event guides. So be sure to check that out. It was really uh-huh. funny late last year when people were talking about Genshin. Like it's, I felt, I still think it really has a strong fan base. But back when it launched, it was huge. I felt like it was everywhere, and like I would feel Alex pl- like chiming in about how the game worked. I'm like, Alex, what are you doing? <laughs> it just felt so out of character for him. But I was, it was endearing in a way. Uh, 
So. I'm so up to anime late last year is weird, dude. I was like, I don't know this guy anymore. No, you, you'll have to you'll have to convince him to come back for for this stuff. Only if you add football, he'll he'll be back in. I love our tangents. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> Only know Did you know Madden's out. Go play Madden. Yo, I don't, like don't, 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 don't have faith. Yeah, the, like it, the, the, there's nothing. There's nothing like technically. Uh, anything's technically possible. And you, next thing you know, they might have a collab with Madden. Okay. Well, we already saw what, what 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 game was it that had a collab with uh, Rainbow Six Siege? Was it R Knights? R Knights, R Knights. Mm. Yep. Oh wow! Yeah. Like if that's on the table, anything's on the table. I think. Yeah. I I think the more surprising um, crossover was uh, For Honor with uh, Samurai Showdown. Yeah, <laughs> that was so funny. My favorite samurai, the For Honor Knight dude. Yeah, crossovers are getting wild. Like, I still am shocked that the Rick and Morty Fortnite crossover was real. Oh, that was so well, good. Well, Fortnite's okay. big enough that they can just kind of cross over with whoever it wants, I feel like, at this point. I, that's, just, that's a weird thing, right? Like, Fortnite's, like, Fortnite is not, like, popularizing the, the, the concept of a crossover, but, like, you can start feeling, like, the frequency of crossovers being more prevalent in the future because, hey, it worked for Fortnite. This is what this is getting new players in. Well, I was so. going to say, it's funny we're talking about, oh, man, look at all those crossovers that Fortnite did. And then it's like, oh, did they cross over with Among Us? No, they just ripped it off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, that's that's uh, that's kind of not Fortnite's roots, but that's how they became popular. Because, hey, they look at PUBG and they're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. One final major news topic uh, is something that came out of IGN Japan, actually, in an interview at the Chinese Games Developer Conference with the production team of the Nier series. This includes uh, Yoko Taro, of course, alongside with Daichi Matsuzukawa, who is the reincarnation director, producer. He's in charge of the reincarnation mobile game. Uh, and then Itosaki, who is the Toy Logic head, who headed up the um, Nier Replicant remaster, because Toy Logic was the developer there. Uh, I did not watch this interview myself. I do know that Josh, uh, big near nerd that he is, I say that endearingly, um, was, was definitely uh, had his eye on this. And you said they, uh, a few interesting kind of like little tidbits came out of this yeah. uh, interview with IG in Japan. So just it's let me know like kind of like what, what came out yeah. here. It's not like a, like a new game uh, announcement or anything like that, but there's like a cool like behind the scenes tidbits, like for one of the stories they mentioned uh, when it came to like Automata's early development was... There's like kind of like a bit of a compatibility period when Saito, the producer of the Nier series, he uh, sent uh, Yokotaro to Osaka for six months to work together with Platinum Games under the same roof, and he mentioned that he wanted this to be a compatibility period because if this if this didn't go well, he was prepared to pull the plug on Automata's development period. And like he would lose money, but he like if there's no compatibility between them, he was like just Automata would never have happened if. It didn't go well with Taro working with Platinum Games uh, there. And luckily it did because uh, Taro worked well with Takahisa Tora of Platinum Games. And you'll know, you'll, you'll know him because he was like the battle designer of um, Automata. And he was also involved in Astral Chain's development. I was, gonna, I was actually going to say, like, do I say Astral Chain? It was Astral Chain, right? I didn't, but I don't yeah. want to say it in case I was wrong. So Yeah, so that, that was really cool. Um, another cool tidbit that came out of that was uh, when it came to uh, the near replicant uh, remaster remake, whatever version upgrade. Um, the IGN Japan uh, interviewer was asking, you know, uh, as for Toy Logic, they work with collaboration with other companies, but that 
what was the balance between nerves and comfort uh, for this team? Were you all on edge, uh, you know, over like this kind of big reintroduction of Nier? Uh, and um, Itosaki, uh, the director from Toy Logic, involved with that game, is like, yeah, they were really nervous because a lot of them, <laughs> uh, like, uh, this is an interesting thing because we knew there was former Kavya staff at Toy Logic, but he mentions a lot of them were from Kavya. So, you know, they're like, he, he jokingly says, oh, yeah, we were bullied by Taro. Uh, uh, terribly, you know, during this development and whatnot, and that that really stuck out to me because, like, oh, to- like he mentions like a good chunk of Toyo Logic is from Kavya, not just a few of them. So Kavya wondering... being the original developer of uh, of Nier. Yeah, and... so I guess this is kind of a situation of like with uh, Artoon going into Arzest or something like that. Yeah, so I re- I wonder like if if they're just gonna like Toy Logic will not be like the kind of like the spiritual sequel of Kavya now, you know, and they'll be working on maybe former Ka- things that Kavya worked on moving forward. So I know like, there yeah. is, I know, I know there is speculation. Like, there's eventually going to be a near three. Like, oh yeah, there's no yeah. doubt who's going to make it. And I know some people who believe it's going to be Toy Logic, and it's not going to be Platinum because Platinum is not really interested in doing that many. Uh, like they want to do their own stuff, but mm-hmm. you know that's mostly speculation. But like right. Toy Logic's working on Replicant might have been some you know trial like warm up sort of thing. But who knows? Honestly, I think that I would be perfectly okay with that because the gameplay in the Replicant remastered is really good. Yeah. So I think that I think they're up to the task. Yeah, I, I think I'd be fine with that too. And I also I also want to see like if they're if they plan on revisiting you know past games. And be releasing them as well, or doing a version upgrade on the first Draken Guard or something, you know. Um, that they they would have to for Draken Guard three. They didn't work on it. I did they or was it Access Games? That was Access. Okay. And so another thing they they mentioned, and they they gave a big shout out to eight four for always you know being on top of the localization of the Nier series in the West, and um, they said that. You know, a big thing for them, and we we see we see this time and time again with um, localization um, when it comes to like the struggles and tribulations of localization. Um, but a big thing that really helped near be popularized and have a smooth localization process was um, the localizers eight four have like a glossary of terms for the near universe and whatnot, and uh, so terminology is consistent with each title, and they are all on the same page of like what does this mean in the near universe? This term. And can it be localized? Uh, like you know, when it comes to localization time, it's like okay, we've seen this before. This would be the localization term we would employ for for the script, English script, and whatnot. So that's... Uh, similarly, Square Enix and Eight Four. When I got the chance to talk to the Saga team just a few months ago, they pretty much said the exact same thing. Like specifically, we worked on the Romancing Saga Two translation, and it was not received well. So. Um, on Romantic Saga 2 sounds like like old people talking to each other on Facebook, but um, so for when Saga Scarlet Grace was releasing, they teamed up with A4 and they specifically mentioned they wanted the localization, they wanted a better quality English localization, and one of the things that A4 did was create a glossary for Saga. So like Square Enix in multiple ways has worked with A4, uh, and it seems like it seems like glossaries are a pretty good idea yeah. for localiz- for for a term localization. Especially for big RPG enduring series like this, yeah, to make sure they're consistent from yeah. you know entry to entry. And, so while uh, you guys talk, I've actually been watching the uh, the trailer or not the trailer, the interview, the panel. 
with with the subtitles on and in the section where they talk about localization and it's just kind of cool on its face to see like this is obviously uh, a Japanese interview for that audience and they're still saying like they've been working with A4 for 10 years they talked about the glossary um, and like it's all in positive light I think it's just cool that they can say it like it's something that they're really proud of their working relationship and it yeah, seems like that's like, no reason to not expect that it's going to be like that going forward okay I think the I think the the thing that really stuck out to me with this interview is like even if they're like from different walks, like you know, the Saito and Taro obviously are kind of overseeing the whole thing, and uh, then they they now have Toy Logic involved with the series, and then they have Matsukawa from uh, Applebot uh, working on the near reincarnation mobile game. There's a lot, a lot of rapport and collaboration between them. They all seem to be on the same page, you know, when they're talking about like their philosophies about working with the series and working with each other. And there's like a lot of there's a lot of like understanding and a lot of like just it's it's cool to see them like talk about it so frankly and so out of the open and whatnot it's it's funny because saito was like yeah we were really late on the bandwagon for near reincarnation because the the only he only went forward with it after he saw that uh automatic sold three to four million copies it's like okay we should probably make a smartphone game uh now over this he's like if he if he knew that it was going to get that amount of traction way beforehand he would have done it way earlier he said he's like yeah we're pretty late on that so, so if you ever bought Automata or gifted it to someone, congratulations, you are responsible for reincarnation existing. Hope you're happy with that. By you the know, way, I have uh, I have dropped reincarnation. I'm sorry. You did? You did it? I have uh, I've uninstalled. Wow. Basically, they they did the um, they announced a new story chapter, and I kind of feel like, man, there's nothing I want to do less than catch up again. So that's a sign that I should uninstall. Burn out. I just I I'd got I kind of got in my fill. I'd kind of learned how the gotcha systems work. It was fun mm -hmm. to learn, like legitimate, mm -hmm. genuinely figure out, like okay, now I have a little bit of a grounding to when people talk about similar games, what the terms mean and how it's organized. At least I have some sort of basic framework. But I just the gameplay wasn't hooking me. The um the story I wasn't hooking me. I was like, I all right, I'm not having not having fun. I'll just drop it. But yeah, I'm glad I played it. it but it's uh yeah, it's definitely. The global version of reincarnation is just uh, a lot at the moment. Like I'm, I'm keeping up fairly well. It's it's easy for me because I know how these games work, and especially when they're very uh, rapid paced. Like Chao, for example. Like at the moment, like this game has only been out for maybe 23 days now. There's uh, 11 full story chapters, and J Jap the J Japanese servers at 12. Um, three events are going on at the same time, all with their event shops. And grinding currency for them is can be a very tedious process because um, you have the to fastest like, way to burn out your audience. Uh huh. And then there, uh, and it has four different banners, all with different limited characters on radar. And, the, and these limited characters aren't shared in between banners, except for a few like the the Automata collab. But the 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 summer banner is its own separate thing, and the half anniversary banner all has its own separate uh, limited characters as well. It's insane at the moment like they really really want to catch up really fast so this is probably like it's the most accelerated gotcha game i've ever Oof. seen out of the gate um i don't know man yeah. i think i've seen like epic 7 catch up like they released a japanese server like maybe a year and a half late but they catched up now but it wasn't like fast track as fast as what i'm hearing from josh you know it's like kind of like a slow pace they just release a banner just like one week a little bit ahead and just kind of slowly you know trying to catch up yeah i really wonder what the long like if how the i don't know i imagine they want to merge servers at some point 
um, and make it one one server only. I, but I have a question: When did it came out in Japan? Came out February of this year. They didn't really need to fast track that hard, I don't think. And that's what well, I'm thinking too. Part of the reason they fast tracked so hard is because they really wanted the summer event to land in summer, so it was only like what a week or two behind, or maybe a month. So they were all. So that's kind of like feels like sort of that's what dictated their pace. I kind of wish that they just kind of uh, released this worldwide simultaneously, even if they had to push back the Japanese server launch. You know, if it was if it was going to lead to this, that's kind of my selfish take on it because I it just to me that makes more sense. But you know, I'm not developing the game, so how would I know? But it's just it's just crazy at the moment. I really wonder if this will pay off for them and how many. I, I wonder how many players are still like are willing to play this and and hang on. Like you know, they're like it'll get probably better soon like once the everything has kind of caught up to a certain degree but man right now it's just wow we do have a few smaller pieces of news uh and uh in the back part here there were a couple incidental updates for games that we've talked about on the podcast a few times uh shin megami tensei 5 first off they did name some of the characters that were in that recently released Bethel trailer. Like the um we have we now know we now have a name for the uh the Rido lookalike. He's not Rido. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Rido. <laughs> yeah, his, his name his name is Shohei Yakumo. Shohei Yakumo. And then uh, they also just detailed some more NPCs, some more of the characters that were shown in that recent trailer. A few gameplay features like the uh, auto battle and quick mode. They showed off a new demon, but I think they've been showing off a new be- demon like every week or twice a week or something. So that's like not new. Uh, yeah. So the new the new demon is uh, it's a werewolf, but the Japanese name is uh, translates to like Lugaru, which is the uh, French word for Gara- for a werewolf. Um, but it's a werewolf. That's what it is. Yeah, so uh, we had talked about this game a few times. Obviously, it's one of the bigger releases of the holidays, but there was just more more details on. Like, I feel like this is going to be a constant for the next couple of months. Is that they'll just keep drip feeding uh, characters and names, and people will speculate what it means for the story and the progression of the game and things like that. I guess the the, the biggest thing out of this that people wanted confirmation on is like, hey, can you like since even though you're making the switch to uh, 3D models and battles, like, will can you like make uh, battles still fast, uh, like in four and four apocalypse, because part of the charm in SMT four and four apocalypse was battles ended quick. You can make them go by really fast because you didn't have to account for like actual animations to the demons when they were attacking and whatnot. And now, all the footage we saw of five so far was like the battles are cool. They look really cool, but if I'm just trying to get from place A to place uh, point A to point B, and I want it uh, to be fast, I want these battles to go by quick, like in four four apocalypse. And they were like, yeah, there are options in the menu where you can turn off animations, both for enemies and your party members to just kind of have battles fly by, you know, and that's really cool to see. We got kind of a similar update with uh, Blue Reflection Second Light. So another game that has kind of been like a new detail every week or every other week. Um, We talked previously about the character Hiori, who is basically like a cameo crossover character from the uh, anime, which is called what is the anime called again? It is a ray, ray. Blue, blue reflection ray, and now they've basically done a similar thing for another character from the anime, Mio Hirahara. So keeps keeps kind of nailing this idea that 
the anime, the mobile game, and the sequel game are all tethered together in some weird way. So, like, if you want to get the yeah, full for those, experience... For those you're... keeping track, this this game, Second Light, it has its own protagonist, it has the protagonist of the first game, it has the main character from the anime, and it has the protagonist from the upcoming mobile game. So they're, like, all here in this game. That's so yeah. weird. <laughs> I, I feel like... Motion. It, it's already weird because like in the blue reflection anime the second half like you already still like uh lime and i forgot the other chick show up uh they're like kind of like the guardians of the common from the first game and they show up there and and i i've been talking with some friends who are watching it who haven't played the first game they're like yeah i'm already kind of lost i'm like yeah it kind of real kind of relies on like first game knowledge to uh make sense of what's going on at this point and when they announced this they when they announced this game they announced it alongside the mobile game and the the anime was already announced before this point but they said like oh you can enjoy any of these separately it's like are you sure about this oh, are you, how sure are you so yeah so whoever signs up to review this you you've got a you've got a task on your plate because you're gonna have to watch the anime good yeah luck, you have only to play the, the first now. game that's it good luck you have to watch the anime it's your homework but i got the platinum <laughs> trophy does that count i'm uh, marathoning uh here's another game that we talked about last week uh the surprise announcement of a new Shining Force title for mobile, Shining Force Heroes of Light and Darkness. So we kind of introduced the idea last week. Uh, this week, basically, very soon after that, um, we got the first real trailer for it. Um, from what I understand, the art style is actually pretty faithful to the original Shining Force games. But, and Adam kind of harped on this a lot, it does that thing where like the character portraits are like marionettes where they they move on their like arm joints in, in a way that just seems like really like almost like Western mobile game style. It's really off putting. It's uh, where they're not so, actually like animated. It's just like different parts sort of rotate and stretch in different ways. And it's just like they just take it. They just take an artwork and they like modulate it to animate it in a way that yeah. is seems very, very cheap. Like, I, I think artwork is game. Kind of. Right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, because I, I remember like ever since this game was announced, I've seen in various places in our Discord and a couple others like people like pulling up art from the old games. Uh, I know Chow has played the older games uh, and saying, hey, it actually kind of looks respectably like faithful. It's just that the way that they implement it is off putting. It's like, I almost feel like I wish like there was a toggle, like stop moving the Fair portraits. Enough. Just let the art just, just let just let the artwork stand on its own. I don't need it to like bob and weave as they're talking <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Uh, Otherwise, I don't know if there's any other real takeaways from uh, from what we saw from the uh, the announcement of this game and the and the new trailer for it. It uh it has characters from the early games, so it's like a you know a star right now. collab crossover thing, and it seems to have new characters as well. Uh, it's free to play, so that means there will be a gotcha system. Uh, I know, like they haven't specifically said. They said it's going to release a, around the globe, specifically how they put it, and that they licensed it for release in North America and Europe. But they haven't like said anything otherwise in terms of English translation or release. So it, se it seems like it's in the plans, at least. I feel like this right, game. So kind of like all I feel like this game came out of like, oh, Legrisser is doing well with its mobile game. <laughs> I don't think bring back Shining Force. I think they came a little yes. late. So no, not dude. even there's not even a, a Japanese release window. So dude, it's just, it, just announced. Hot off the uh, they said 2022. Oh, okay. I, I just think of Langri the Langrisser mobile game, and I look at this game, dude. That's that's all I think of. I'm like, oh yeah, it looks kind of like that game. I don't know. 
good luck, I guess. The last time I checked that game, it was doing really hot in Korea for some reason. The Legacy? Yeah. Oh man. I, I just know that game has like crazy freaking crossovers. Like it had like a Wataru crossover recently, but then we previously had like a Yu Yu Hakusho and Sakura Wars crossover. What? And don't on? forget the Cold Steel Free collab. Oh yeah, they did that. <laughs> I forgot. It's the is it's the theme of this podcast, like crossovers. Feels like a part of it is. Maybe that's okay. the title. That's uh that's the life we live now, okay. I, I prefer the title R1 to B in the <laughs> demo impressions. <laughs> All right, a couple other uh little news bits that just filtered in over the week. Uh Biomutant. Remember when that was some a topic of the podcast? No. Uh, <laughs> favorite game of twenty twenty one, I heard. <laughs> this is actually, I think, legitimately good news. Uh, Biomutant has surpassed 1 million units sold, and development and marketing costs were recouped within a week of launch. Good. Like, Regardless of your feelings of that game, that, that is just, I don't know how you could feel otherwise other than think that's wonderful news, because this was a smaller studio, a studio that deliberately like took their game out of the limelight to work on it and not crunch. Remember when it disappeared for like nine months or ten, or was it over a year? Um, yeah. It like and it's like year, 30 yeah. developers again. And the fact that they recouped all of their costs despite being a mixed reception is just like wonderful, I think. It's because yeah. now that maybe, maybe that was for most of that team, their first project. It was actually the first project under uh, what was the studio name again? It was called something it's that like matched with it. One, I think. Right. Yeah. Because like that, it kind of matches with the theme of the game. Uh, yeah. But so the fact that they recouped their costs and we'll, we'll presumably start working on something else is actually like. You no, know, it's great news, and yeah, I okay. am still I am still curious in this just to see like uh, what my what my thoughts are rather than just adopt everyone else's opinions and make it my own. So uh, at some not, point, I will make space for this. Like by any means, I still enjoyed it. I still have well, I wouldn't say I have fond memories of it because it wasn't that long ago. But <laughs> I, I would, you know, if if you enjoyed it, I'd be like more power to you. That's great. But I just feel like it didn't deliver on pretty much anything it promised. Uh, I yeah, it was just it was okay. But that's quite I, fantastic news for them. I think the, the the big takeaway is like, hey, if they're if the obviously developers are probably working on something new, they can now incorporate like, okay, what were the strengths and weaknesses we had of this first product, exactly. and how can we, yeah, you know, yeah. make things better next time? This next news bit is like almost the exact opposite thing <laughs> in, a, uh-huh. in a way. Okay. Uh, so, guys, do you remember um, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven? No. It feels weird. It feels like I'm like reaching from like another age to talk about that game again, even though uh, yes. it didn't release that long ago. Back um, in 1998, so it, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, but it, it has released a, a new patch, uh, 1.3, which it basically, if you go to the patch notes, it's like a giant list of fixes, like mostly related to quests. So kind of like the expected, like we're trying to ship this thing up and shape it into place that maybe should have already happened at some place. Um, the the difference with this patch is that it also kind of tries to like bring back people who have already played it by introducing like what feels like or what reads like to me like a very sliver of like new content, new DLCs. So first of all, the main thing of the patch is that it's a giant fix list, but they've also added Johnny Silverhand has a new outfit, what? which apparent which oh, apparently oh. you just like toggle in a menu. I haven't played this. I'm reading it from the patch notes. It says can be enabled in settings from the additional content tab. So it's just like a tails costume. See, tying these tying these ideas together. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's where they got it from. It's like, oh man, tails has been, has been doing this. Why can't we do this? They added some more like jacket 
gear accessories for the main character V that they're added as rewards for quests that are already in the game. So it says like you will get the luminescent punk jacket after completing the ride. Uh, so it's like they're just taking existing quests and adding rewards, which is like okay, that's that's cool, fine, I suppose. Full cosmetic thing for my character that I always view in first person. Yep. <laughs> uh, right. And then there's a new there's a new car, and the, the, this actually like sticks out to me because I actually made a guide up on the site for all the cars in the game. So I'm like, damn it, now I gotta like reinstall the game and figure <laughs> out what the details are for this new car. The Archer Quartz Bandit is a reward after completing Ghost Town, which, as far as I know, is an existing quest. Um, so this like this DLC is kind of like very superfluous stuff. It's almost like pre-order bonus only added eight months after the fact. Uh, you know, what that's actually the... exactly what it is. It feels like this is like what you would normally get for a pre-order. Are they still on their proposed roadmap thing or are they off the rails from that roadmap? Who knows? Well, that roadmap was so like vague that they can kind of do what they want. Oh, OK. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's no, like, aren't, we, aren't, we in that, aren't we in that like weird bar where it said like, Updates and improvements. Yeah. 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 (laughs) We're just kind of like isn't that isn't that most games roadmaps where they'll just fix a few things only for them? It's like it has to be a roadmap because I forgot there was no like time frame. It was just like kind of like uh, just like a meter almost. It's like in this part of the meter, it'll this will get done. It's like who knows what that meter represents, but it's we're in there right now. Like, okay. I'm actually trying to find that roadmap to figure out like what, what George said about this console up okay so especially the, this year the, right but between 2021 and 2022 literally three-fourths of it is this gray bar that says multiple updates and improvements and the first part of that it says free dlcs so i guess that's oh. the part we're at so right. these dlcs are like cosmetics <laughs> and oh an, an unmeasured <laughs> An unmeasured portion away from that, but still ahead of 2022, it says free next-gen console update. So All right, I guess let, that's let me, let me get out my ruler. All right, within <laughs> within two centimeters, we're gonna get the next-gen versions. Yeah, figure out what date it is. How many days we have left until the end of the year, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and then measure how close the next-gen console update is, and you'll 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 be an insider. You'll know when it's coming. I haven't played Cyberpunk yet, and I want to. Even if people, it seems like. You know, some people like it, but it seems like a lot of people were disappointed in it. And I kind of just want to like experience it for myself. It's okay. But I figured, why not wait for these? Like, they just released a gigantic list of updates, um, mostly just fixing the game. I actually did watch the stream that they did for the updates as well, and they were basically pretty open about it. About, um. Like they acknowledged that people were disappointed in the game and everything, and they they actually did mention that we have a lot more we want to do in terms of fixes. So it's like there's more coming, um, in that sense. My favorite part of this is that where was it specifically that they said from the creators of Witcher Three: The Wild Hunt? Like they're trying to be like, remember that? Yeah, like we well, that too. That's what we're known for. Don't don't know us for cyberpunk. <laughs> like, yeah, come on, this game that we're working on. Uh, Oh, well, boy. I will ear I'll earmark a, a nebulous spot in the future at the end of this roadmap that has no measurements on it for Adam's experience with the fixed up version of Cyberpunk yeah. Make, make sure yeah, make sure you get a copy of that roadmap and like get like put like little notes on it. It's like okay, on uh, on August this this is where uh, the, these updates were. So to make sure that the roadmap is accurate. The last two notes on our podcast document are very very minor. Uh, one of them is that. A, a fan-made Pokemon-like 
is now getting an official release on console. Nexomon is releasing on pretty much every console on September 17th. So Nexomon, I don't know if anything about this specifically, but it was it was in the same vein as like uh, Pokemon Uranium. And what was that other one that was like a Pokemon like that really took off that ended up with a console port? There's so many Pokemon likes oh, that I get. Oh, I know, I know what you mean. Temtem. Temtem was the one I was... So this feels like it's kind of in the same vein. This one's more pixel-based, uh, so it looks a little bit more like, kind of like the original uh, Sinnoh games a little bit. Uh, so it's getting a console release. It's already on PC uh, and mobile, I think. So it released on Steam last July. Uh, and it released on mobile. It released, mobile, in, it released on mobile ago. like three, yeah, 2017, so it's not a new game, really. So that's what Pokemon Legends Arceus looks like. It looks like Nexomon. Got it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, if you're interested in that, if you don't like the look of returning to Sinnoh and you don't want to wait for Arceus, uh, Nexomon is coming out in a month for consoles. And we also have a release date for uh, another Chinese studio, uh, Domo Studios Yan Wan Sword 7. Um, long running. Studio. Oh, Chat, how do we that how do you pronounce that name? Sean Wan? Which one? The, the... Here, I'll type it out for you. Yeah, you don't want to... Uh, I'm really Sean bad. Sean Yun Sword? Sean Yun, okay. okay. I'm thinking, like, I don't know. I, I'm trying to see this in, like, the letters. I would much better if they gave me the letters. Yeah, 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 we don't, we don't, we, like yeah, we don't have the, the characters for it. You only have the... Uh... But yeah, long-running RPG uh, series that I actually don't know, like, how many of these have... Like at what point they started getting English releases, uh, but we have a um, we have a release date for September thirtieth for Jean Yon Sword Seven for PlayStation Four and uh, Xbox One. It originally released on PC last year, so this is another kind of console version of an existing PC game. Um, I saw I saw like one person that's a mutual on Twitter like really talking up this game and released on PC, and that was it. Otherwise, it didn't really seem like it made much of a splash, but. Hey, maybe it's a diamond in the rough. It looks interesting enough. Action RPG looks a little stiff. I just don't want to be rude and be like, Zuan Yuan, like completely wrong. It's not like back to like a Dynasty Wars 3 when Koei didn't really like do their research in the pronunciations of names. So you have a name like a C A O C A O. That's for not like a proper pronunciation that we South Sal, but then in the actual dub for Dynasty Wars 3, they call him Cow Cow. They call him Cow Cow in it. It's like, oh. <laughs> and, yeah, and like I didn't know any better. I was like a kid. I was like, I just thought that's how you pronounced it. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I think I think we're right on this. I think I think we got the pronunciation right. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking in Cantonese terms, right? Because everything in like a Chinese product oh. is always written in like the Mandarin Pinyin, right? So. Okay, so what is the name again? Just to clarify, uh, Shenyun, Shenyun okay. Sword Seven. So uh, the the series has been going, I guess, since 1990, and like Shenyun Sword Six was in 2013. So it's actually been a while. Uh, it had a few spinoffs. I, I I presume most of these never came to English, but uh, I did see like one person in particular say that this game was surprisingly good and under the radar when it released on PC last year. So maybe there's something there. Uh, and now it'll also have a console release. I do, I do know the uh, the Steam release of this game. It's got mixed reviews, you know. A, a little, whatever, a little that, whatever you mean, whatever that means. So like, uh, a, a little tidbit since we're on this topic. Like, uh, several of my, of my friends have been playing this battle royale game called Super Mecha Champions, and it's like I think by a Chinese. Uh, it's very big in China, from uh, my understanding. Um, the, in the in the chat feature in that game, you can actually do like a voice chat, like 
you you say something and you can send it, say it, uh, send it as a chat message, and it'll auto translate what you said into Chinese, transliterate it into Chinese in the chat. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, so, and it's actually accurate. Me. Hell no, probably not. <laughs> wow, that actually kind of reminds me. Um, we didn't talk about it, but uh, NCSoft announced Lineage W, which is a mobile MMORPG. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are boasting this AI-driven, like real-time translation thing. So where it's they say, if you're playing with you know English people speaking with Korean speaking people, you can just type it and it'll like translate it for them like that's ai like, uh, it's cool if it works but does it work yeah I, I, I really wonder if that if that's like the next like step in like kind of bridging communications worldwide is like you're, you're gonna try to like work on ai based communication like that that's insane to think about well i think that's what people have been using like emotes and stuff or in final fantasy terms where they just have everything like, yeah, like password messages, like preset messages, but they're but they're like they're, but they're already translated, right? Like in FF. Yeah, I, I ran into that in Final Fantasy XI, and it's also in Final Fantasy XIV, where they have like these phrases that you pick the phrase, and then whatever language person re- reading it is playing in, that's what they see the phrase in. So yeah, yeah. kind of like and a rudimentary like, version of that. Doesn't it Go build ahead. off of um? Well, I don't know. I was just thinking to myself because I do sometimes translate things through Google Translate for um, you know. European languages and Asian languages, and for some reason, I don't know, just something about the Asian languages doesn't really seem to line up sometimes. So I'm not it, sure. It's if... There's a lot of context. You need the context because if you don't have the uh... context, it doesn't flow too well, right? It'll be like, what the hell you're trying to say? It's like, okay, how do you would say a computer in Chinese? It's electric and brain. You combine these two kanji together and or hanji together, and you get computer. But, but if you're translating it with a machine, you might be like, Oh, yeah. Like, there's been times where it's like been complete gibberish, and I'm like, What the hell is this? <laughs> so, long story short, having a cool, if it works, an AI setup like that, that Lineage W is attempting would be uh, kind of a breakthrough in some ways. But speaking of empty stuff. I was going to say about NCSoft, they're adding new stuff to Ion. Like, they're completely changing content for Ion Classic. So that rewriting the story thing is actually probably true wait what they're like they're like changing up like yeah old content it's like imagine you like it's like like new new things are coming to AI classic now yeah it's like imagine you messed up like wow cataclysm and now you're trying to rewrite history with your classic version what the fuck i do have one more comment uh nc soft is also the publisher of guild wars 2 and that is also adding fishing so there i just figured that that was that was uh, relevant enough you're so fishing. Yeah, apparently, like uh, that is going to be the theme of late this year, next early next year. Is well, that's going to be uh, if, if, Yeah, if your MMO doesn't, if your game doesn't, if your RPG doesn't have fishing, like you better get on that because you're going to be left in the dust. Apparently, so, yeah. <laughs> the fact that NCSoft publishes Guild Wars, I know I'm like 15 years late to this. It's always felt weird because it's like they're only American. They did also have Wildstar, no, which was from a, from oh, Carbine in Texas. Yeah. But then that went under. So yeah. It's like everything uh, NC Soft does is Korean. And then like, oh by the way, we also own these California studio. Like, oh cool. uh, Arena Net, Washington. Yeah. But yeah. Internet, yeah. Oh Washington. And that's it for uh the news slate. So kind of a weird mix of like the the Pokemon speculation about something coming on next year, uh details on existing games, some sales updates, uh the cool interview on with the uh near team on from IGN Japan. And of course, the uh, the Tales of Rise demo that we started with was something that we we're all really looking forward to to play in less than a month.
Oh God, it's less than a month. Yeah, it is less than a month. September 10th. Three weeks. So uh, thank you for listening. We do have the two features that we talked about up on the site, the um, Dodgeball Academia review, the uh, new Pokemon Snap feature that James wrote up, as well as like the details that we glossed over for like Shin Megami Tensei 5 and Blue Reflection uh, are all, all up there as well. You can always follow us on Twitter at RPG site. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for RPG site. You'll probably find us. We also have links at the top of our homepage. Also at the top of our homepage, we do have a link to our Discord channel. So if you're interested in that, please come on by and talk about your favorite RPGs. If you talk about Madden, we'll have to kick you out. I'm sorry. <laughs> How about FIFA? Uh, depends. And then other than that, uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, take care. I'll talk to you next time. It just works. <laughs> <laughs>